What is up? Happy Friday. Welcome to Football Life Presents The Audible. We're back for another week. I'm your host, Randy Hammond, joined by my co-host, Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona. Matt, it's an exciting week for our show. How are you doing? Doing great, Randy. Got to watch some White Sox baseball finally. Sports back on the field. You couldn't ask for anything better. We needed it. People were going crazy at each other's throats. And now we get to talk some football after a very interesting day of baseball. Yeah, uh, definitely need some sports back in my life. Very excited to have baseball back uh, in the next week or so. Hopefully that can take off here without a hitch. That's a good transition because we have a special guest today, uh, part of our division series, Matt, and he is the host of Donk City over in baseball life, Vince Mercandetti, (laughs) a fellow Giants fan with me here. And uh, you know us. I'm sure there will be some arguing. Do you have any thoughts, quick thoughts on the NFC East before we get to the news here? Man, it just feels like, if I were to put this in a comparison, it's like you go out, you get hammered, you you end up sleeping with somebody, and then you wake up the next morning and you're like, what the hell did I just do? That's the (laughs) NFC East. (laughs) You're just saying it's a big mistake then, is what you're saying. Essentially, yes. Yeah. (laughs) The the 2020 NFC East is not what it used to be. It's not, not my father's NFC East. Back in the day, my father would tell me that, you know, the NFC was tough and it, and it was physical and it was about men being men. And that's what football was back then. And now it's just a bunch of pussies patty caking each other around. So we're going to get to all the NFC stuff. And we had some big NFC news this week uh, involving the teams that, you know, that play here and one team that had a name that doesn't no longer has a name. Um, we have a, a non-contract extension and some controversy with that team. Um, but we have some contracts we'd like to talk about before we welcome Vince on the show here. And the first one we want to get to is from the Super Bowl champions. And you're not having deja vu because we started the show the same way last week with them signing a player to a massive contract. Last week, if you remember, they signed Patrick Mahomes to the largest contract in the history of sports. This time around, they lock up the most important player, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they give Chris Jones, i make sure I have this right, a four-year, $85 million contract extension and, you know, you can see how he played, you know, his first few years and how he played in the run in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. I think he was so important and so underrated in that aspect. Um, this is actually, I think, a team-friendly deal, given how much he's worth to them. Matt, don't you agree? Oh, yeah. And we'll get to the Miles Garrett deal and some of the other defensive deals that were done. But you talk about a key cog who has a arrow – Aaron Donald type impact on this defense. He creates mm-hmm. havoc in the interior, which is you really can't replace. It's hard to replace interior pressure. So him taking a four year, $85 million deal helps out this defense a ton. One, you get to lock him up. All that ill will and the anger is gone on Chris Jones end now. And it really feels like this team can get back to defending their title without having to worry about all the distractions that may be out there. Yeah, I mean, the pressure up the middle is so important because it's the most direct route to the quarterback, right? That's the mo- That makes the most sense of anything as far as pass rushers. Like, you want to have a speed guy on the outside, but it's so important to have that push up the middle. Uh, and I just want to throw out here that Jones had 136 tackles and 33 sacks in his first four years in the NFL. He had 15 and a half alone just in 2018, which was the third most in the sport. And he's not even a D-end or an outside linebacker. I mean, that is impressive. Um, now, I, I kind of wanted to talk about this. You know, is he the best defensive player on the team? Because I know Honey Badger's impact is very important, and he was named team MVP. But I would argue that 
Chris Jones' value is even greater than that. Defense is weird like that because they're pieces that do different jobs. And I don't want to say one job's more important than the other. I mean, what Matthew does is really roams the field and covers up a lot of mistakes. He's like an eraser. But you don't get opportunities to get the turnovers, to get the interceptions without a guy like Chris Jones. So Chris Jones is creating those opportunities for Matthew to capitalize off of. So it's kind of like the dirty work. He's an offensive lineman on, on defense, defensive lineman. But, yeah, you can't understate what he does. And I, I really do think he's the most vital piece to that defense. Yeah, I agree. And you saw how many times he had a batted ball in the playoff run, right? Even the Super Bowl alone, I believe he had three of them. Uh, in the second half, which clearly changed how Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball. He didn't want to throw it over the middle of the field because he had the big body there with his arms up. That, to me, is so valuable, and it doesn't always show up on the, the stat sheet. So I love Chris Jones, and that leads me to my next question. You know, we agree on his value for KC, but as far as defensive linemen in the NFL, where do you think he lands? Is he top five? Easily. He's probably number two overall. Um, wow. I Right behind Aaron Donald, there's so many things that he does well. Obviously, last year, the numbers don't reflect his impact, but he's worth every bit of this money. He hits the open market. He's getting $120 million with his eyes closed without even negotiating to start. So, without a doubt, number two. Yeah, I don't, you know, think he's on the level of Aaron Donald, but I think Aaron Donald is just a freak of nature in any way. But I think they're also different players in the sense that Aaron Donald is a smaller, stockier guy and probably maybe a little bit better against the run and a lot quicker. But Chris Jones is a bigger body, takes up more space, but still doesn't lack that pass rushing ability. So, you know, how versatile both those guys are is, is, is crazy, but how different they are in stature. Um, regardless, they are the two best interior defensive linemen in the sport. I don't think that's even a debate. Um, we have another defensive lineman, though, Matt, that signed a big contract this week also wears number 95 for the Cleveland Browns uh the 2017 number one overall pick Miles Garrett signed and let me get the numbers here quick a five-year 125 million dollar contract extension with the Browns and the season did not end for him the way that he probably would have anticipated uh given that he assaulted a man on a football field (laughs) swung his helmet and hit Mason Rudolph in the head um, but the talent is obviously there, and he has the potential to be the best defensive end in the league. Um, what's your take on this contract extension, Matt? I think he's worth it, and I, I want to go back. Um, something that Henry commented on in the comment section of this podcast so far is that Nick Bosa's, you know, number one, which I don't disagree with when we start talking about segments of the defensive line. I don't think you can compare defensive tackles to defensive ends. I think they have to be separated because they do different things. Miles Garrett is probably number two or three on the edge behind Bosa. I, I do think Bosa is by far the best defensive end in all of football, the things that he, he can do. And Joey's not far behind him either. So you got the Bosa brothers, you got Garrett, you got Mack. And I'm forgetting a name here off the top of my head. I can't remember the other big name and it's going to kill me. But those are like the big guys that deserve that hundred million dollars. I think Garrett is such a huge impact player that, yeah, he's worth the five years, 125 million, especially to Cleveland to get that quarterback pressure. So I, I kind of put him in that top five category, definitely worth the money. Yeah. He's only 24 years old, um, has some immaturity issues, uh, has a lot of late penalties, has, does a lot of dumb things that lack discipline. I think that's a lot on coaching too. 
Um, but he's young. I think he will clean it up. And um, I don't think the Browns are going to regret that at all. And I do think he, he, he could be better than Bosa if he could put it all together uh, and not get suspended and, uh, and not do those dumb things after the play. Because right now Bosa has showed that he has that discipline and he has that ability to stay within his means and just play football. Right now Garrett has let his emotions take over him several times now. And that's clearly affected how I look at him, but it does not affect how the Browns look at him. No, I don't think that – so when you take a look at the body of work of Miles Garrett, he's a really good pass rusher. He can really stop the run. But I feel like there's ways that you can plan around him. I see him disappear when he gets double teamed on tape. When I take a look at a guy like Nick Bosa, and obviously I did a lot of Bosa watching prior to the Super Bowl, he – can split double teams and set the edge to make it so uncomfortable to try to run that sweep or even run that off tackle that it's really hard for offenses to really run to that side of the ball. I don't feel like defenses are scared to run to Garrett's side of the football, but man, when you talk about when a quarterback drops back, Garrett's as good as they come. I mean, he is just unbelievable with that first step quickness. And when it's a straight line and he can get to the quarterback, you know, I, I feel bad for the person that's in front of him because he's got the strength and the speed to utterly dominate when it comes into a pure pass for us situation. Yeah, I think he is so versatile in his pass rushing abilities because he can bull rush you. He can spin move you. He can get around you with his quickness. Like he is the total package where he is just a physical freak um, that there really isn't a move or a way that he can't get to. I just think the maturity is a little something that turns me off here not denying the talent at all because you're number one overall pick and your defensive end, your chances are you're, you're a rare breed. So I'm with you on the miles Garrett. I think in the long run will be worth it for the Browns. Cause I think that they're in a window now to make the playoffs. And we talked about them back when we talked about the AFC North, that the Browns are a good, a good football team and they're going to need miles Garrett to be that anchor on the defensive side for sure. Uh, we have one more contract extension that happened this week. Matt, and this one is a little bit different. It's not a defensive player, but it is an important player to his team, regardless of how I feel about the position group. Um, Derrick Henry signed a four-year, $50 million contract extension with the Titans, and I'll just give him some credit here because he did earn it. In 2019, he had 1,746 yards from scrimmage and 18 touchdowns, and that accounted for 30% of the Titans' offense, and you know, that is, I mean, this is why you don't pay running backs because they get run to the ground and, they're, and then they get beat up and they can't last very long. But nonetheless, I don't hate the deal considering how bad some of these contracts have been for running backs. Uh, do you think that Derrick Henry and the Titans, you know, worked out something nice here? I think Derrick Henry's in a, in the Titans, it's a win-win contract for both of them, I feel. I think Derrick Henry easily has two great years left in him. I, I He runs at a very physical style, but he's not really taking a lot of punishment. He's the one that's really delivering the punishment. So I think it works out well for Henry for lengthwise. I would have been okay with a five-year deal. The Titans get to keep their main cog of the offense. I I think you look at this contract, he's going to give you three really, really productive years. Years one and two are going to be really, really spectacular. Year one, or I'm sorry, year three should be good. Year four, even if he falls off a cliff, your window's probably closed anyway, and you're looking at rebuilding to get back to the playoffs. I would be more concerned with the Tannehill deal. I think that is way more egregious than any running back contract. So I'm good with the Henry deal. I I think it's a good deal. 
Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find the Tannehill numbers here off the top of my head, but uh, no, it's ludicrous. Okay. It, it's so stupid. I think it's 120 yeah, they gave million. Him, yeah, they gave him four years for 118 million. But Matt, you know how this works with, with quarterbacks. I mean, th- this is what happens when you, when you pay quarterbacks, and they are in general overpaid. Um, even the most mediocre ones are the most high, highest paid uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, I generally hate paying running backs, especially after that rookie deal. Um, the money on this one doesn't bother me because it feels like it's fair value for him. Um, they rely on him a lot. He is like the identity of their style of play because they are hard-nosed team that runs the ball and has a ball control offense. Regardless if it's Marcus Mariota or Ryan Tannehill, you know, they're giving him the ball 30 times a game and saying just go and beat up the other team's linebackers. Uh, he's hard to take down. My worry is that his running style might prevent him from even finishing out this contract. I think that you've seen these guys who are big and physical not make it through as long because they do take a beating. And you said he does give punishment, but how quick do we see an NFL player go from top of the world in his position to just out of the league, you know, in two years, you know, all it takes is one small thing for that to happen. I know I'm being pessimistic that could happen to any player in the sport, but running back, they can get hit how many more times than other, other positions. I, I'm typically skeptical. I don't hate this deal for the Titans though. I know that that's probably surprises people because of how anti running back I am. But, you know, the Titans and Derrick Henry feel like a good match here. Yeah, it, it's a perfect match. I, I love everything that they have here in Tennessee that makes it work. His style is the offense. So when you have a guy like Derrick Henry, you don't let that go. You keep him on board. You keep the line moving. And you pay the man his money because he's earned it. So it's it's a good deal in my, in, in my eyes. I, I think $12.5 million per year for a guy like Derrick Henry is more than reasonable. He's going to pay off that deal through year three and you bite the bullet on year four. I, I don't know how the structure of the deal is, but really we, we take a look at, is it 50 million guaranteed? Is it fully guaranteed? Are we looking at like 35, 40 million guaranteed? Cause that's really the number we need to look at because they could get out of year four without any um, damage there. Let me find the con. And there he is. Vince is here. <laughs> right on time with my with my Jewish movie director look. How are you guys? <laughs> Living the dream. All right. Well, that that's the perfect transition to move into our next segment. But I'll wrap a bow on the Titans talk. Uh, when you have a quarterback and running back duo that leads you to the AFC Championship game, uh, you're going to ride it out with them for a couple more years and see what happens. So I don't. At the end of the day, I don't fault the Titans too much for that. Um, but Vince. Welcome to the Audible. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I, I feel like I'm on the hot seat already. How are you guys? <laughs> I heard a little bit of Derrick Henry love out of you, Randy. I didn't know if we had a concussion protocol on the show. but <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I figured I surprised some people with that, but uh, I'm so anti-running back. It doesn't, it's, 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 it's situational. The contract isn't horrible. It's all right. I, I don't hate yeah. it. Don't worry. When it's not the Giants, it's great. When it, when it is the Giants, it's not. Don't, don't worry. We're going to get the blue tent. Randy will be going in there in a few minutes. So everyone at home, don't worry. Randy's going to get checked out. Fantastic. If Gettleman, if Gettleman could pull off a four-year, $50 million extension for Saquon, I will not hate that deal. I promise you. Yeah, well, so. you hold your breath, you'll be dead. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But – uh, if you haven't noticed, Vince is on because, you know, Vince is my fellow Giants fan here, and we're going to do NFC East week uh, as per your vote in football life. Um, we're going to start off with the big news out of Washington, which the team that no longer has a nickname, 
I'm going to call them FC Washington from now on until they're renamed. Um, but in a serious Washington Post article, 15 women said they were sexually harassed um, from employees of the Washington, formerly known as the Redskins. Um, and it was, you know, teased for a couple of days. And this was like a big bombshell story. And it was going to be the reason that Dan Snyder sold the team. And then they released the story and it's serious. And it's unfortunately the world that women live in when they work in sports or really any environment. Um, but, you know, after reading the article, it seems like that the Redskins are taking this seriously and the NFL is taking this seriously and they're investigating. Um, Vince, did you get the chance to check out the article and what do you make of the situation? Yeah, I mean, I read it. I, this is, I don't want to make the situation uh, with a worse analogy than, than I should, but this is no different to me than the Penn State debacle, not in terms of what happened. Obviously, you know, sodomizing children is worse than sexual harassment in the workplace, but in that it's a lack of institutional control. You hear that term all the time in college. You don't hear that time in the pros unless it's like Frank McCourt in divorce court. But um, but that's what we have in Washington. This is what, what drives me nuts about, about pro sports owners. Dan Snyder is like a colossal asshole. I mean, he's just the worst human being ever. He's not a good owner. The Redskins are never good. They have, like, no playoff wins since I've been an adult, since I, like, went through puberty, whatever. There's an overall awful, embarrassing, ludicrous organization led by Dan Snyder who's an awful, ludicrous, terrible person. And there's, like... You know, when you're a bad CEO in the business world, you can have like a cabinet or, or a board that can vote you out because you're incompetent. NFL's like, oh, we're all making money, so who cares? But like, this is definitely where the NFL should step in and be like, yep, see, this is your divorce. Like Frank McCourt, when they kicked him out with the Dodgers, this is your divorce. Like, you're gone. This was our excuse. It's gone. So if anything good comes out of this, besides, you know, the women getting their justice, it's that. I hope this forces Dan Snyder out. Because right now the Redskins not only are like a smoldering butthole, but it's just hilarious to me. I just went on to check some stats. They don't even have they don't have the mascot or a logo. So they're literally just a faceless, nameless organization right now. And that and Dan Snyder's behind that. So Yeah. I I'm a big fan of the Redskins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Vince Vince coming out with blade guns on fire here. I love it. Uh, attacking Washington, uh, they deserve it though. I mean, they're just totally just in that organization from the top down. Uh, yeah, I think we uh, lost Randy there for a minute, but he was so passionate about his Washington Football Club. But I couldn't agree more, Vince, with your sentiments. I mean, Dan Snyder is a flaming pile of garbage. He's run, he's run this historic franchise into the ground, name or not. He should have been in front of the name five years ago, six years ago. When he bought the team, you knew you were inheriting this issue. They've been protesting the Washington Redskin name since the early 90s, even into the 60s. And obviously it comes from, you know, a person has come out in the North Dakota tribal area saying, you know, my, this is my great-grandfather, this is my grandfather, this is a portrait. It was to honor him. Where was this in 90, you know, in the early 90s? This stuff, as a good CEO and as a good leader, you think you'd be in front of this. You know what you're getting yourself into with this team. But it goes back to when he bought it, when he signed all those free agents and it blew up in his face. The Redskins were the, I'm sorry, the Washington Football Club were the hot things. Like, oh, man, they got Deion Sanders, Albert Hainsworth. Oh, this team's going to just run over everybody. Team lacked leadership. I think they've had 11 coaches since Dan Snyder took over. And anytime you have an 11, 11 head coaches in the last 20 or so years, 
your team is doing something wrong. That is not stability, that is instability, and it starts from the top. Yeah, thanks for continuing the conversation there, Matt, after I had some technical problems. But yeah, Vince, totally spot on in your analysis, Matt, you too. It is just a lack of leadership all around in Washington, and it'd be best for the fan base there and the organization if Snyder did get rid of the team. I find it interesting, the connections I've been reading, that the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, uh, also mega rich man, uh, could easily afford the Washington Redskins, has been interested in Washington team. I should stop using the R word at this point, but it's going to take some time. Uh, but <laughs> but he is, has shown interest in buying a team before, so I wonder if this is a, a plot behind the scenes, like let's you know get Snyder out of there. You know, I don't know how likely it is that Snyder sells the team after all of this, but he was adamant he wasn't going to sell the team. Um, this clearly is not a good look for him. Do you think Snyder just kind of calls a quit, quit here, quits here and just says, I'm done, give me my couple billion dollars and someone else can run this team? No, no way. He's way too arrogant, way too into yeah. his own money and image. There's no – guys like this you just have to force out. Um, and he's going to go out kicking and screaming, probably threaten some sort of, you know, lawsuits. I mean, the man should have gone to jail for attempted murder of RG3, in my mind. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you saw RG3 almost die on the field, uh, and they just kept, you know, treading him out there to try and win a playoff game. But I, I, I don't see it, Randy. I think that'd be a great thing if he walked away. But I've been saying that about James Dolan now for, like, 20 years, and he's still kicking and screaming, destroying my – my basketball franchise so I don't see it I don't think guys like that go out this easy Matt do you think that has potential at all or you think he's gonna you know hold fast to this until something more serious potentially comes out and not to say that this isn't serious but you know where I'm getting out with that I'm just gonna ask you guys this question and you guys can answer can you tell me one person in history that has walked away from a billion dollar business <laughs> hey that, that's where I'm coming from yeah you're uh, right you're right yeah, it's just it's it's not going to happen. Um, they're going to have to force him out. It's that simple, and they and they should for many many reasons. You can you can pin it on whatever you want. I mean, they don't have a racist recording or anything. That seems to be what gets it done in the NBA, uh, mm -hmm. but in NFL, there's got to be something. And the thing that cracks me up, Matt, you mentioned earlier the I just found that out recently that the Reds the R word mascot is uh is a portrait of like someone's grandfather from 30 years ago but that's not the name <laughs> like that's the name yeah. is the part that's offensive to people and yeah. he has nothing to do with that so like yeah you found one native american willing to draw willing to draw another native american that doesn't change anything about the name and its dynamic or anything so i just it's such a weird argument <clears throat> Yeah, I think anytime you want to bring up history, and let's face it, we live in a very cynical society. So the first thing I heard is like, okay, how much did they pay him to say this? You know, that was the first thing that popped in my head because I don't believe it. Like, yes, it was a portrait. Great, it's a portrait. But like Vin said, it's, it's the name. And we discussed it last week. Even though people today, you know, especially Native Americans are saying, you know what, I'm okay with that name. Well, that's great, but you may not know how derogatory that name was used to describe Native Americans back in the early 1900s and the 1800s. It was very insulting. And once you start reading up on Native American history, what the settlers did or the colonizers did when they first came over here, you know, blankets infected with smallpox, you know, bringing disease and killing these people off to take their land. I mean, it's not a very kind history, and I think 
we as a people need to be aware, and I don't want to say ultra sensitive to things like the Braves, the Chiefs, the Blackhawks, you know, because some of these names are okay, but I'm not going to be the one to police that. But this name, I just, there's no place for it. Yeah, and to me, and I'm, I'm fairly young here, so I didn't, you know, know the history of the Redskins all that well until kind of recently, but, but when, in 2013, when Snyder was questioned about the team name, he, he was like adamant, like, I'm never changing the name, but it was always something that was going to happen. And with everything yeah. that's gone on this year, it was the perfect storm for it to happen. And you have two organizations in Nike and FedEx force his hands and say, we're taking your, the name off of our stuff and you're gonna, your pockets are going to be hurt by it. So once you threaten to hurt someone financially is when things actually happen here. Um, you could, I don't know what that is with him selling the team. Like what, what could you threaten him with to get him out? But someone could force his hand just like the name change that happened. And, you know, he, he could be gone. So I don't know what that is. Maybe more comes out from this. Vince, you mentioned before that there could be a trickle-down effect from this story. Maybe more things come out. Maybe some worse things. We've heard rumors about way worse things. Um, but I'm not going to speculate on rumors. I can only tell you what we know from the, the article. Um, but that, that name change is official. If you did not know that they did drop the name completely, they are just going to be Washington. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but when the Titans changed their name after moving to Tennessee, they were still the Oilers, and it took two years for them to get a new name and to get it on the logo and to get it on uniforms. So I don't think this is going to be a quick process. I could be wrong. You guys think that they'll have a new name by the time we kick off here in September? Matt, you go first. Yes, I do. Okay, Vince. I, I think they'll announce one, yes. Uh, to your point, whether it's fully infiltrated into the organization and branded and everything like that, I have no idea. Uh, probably not. That seems like a pretty fast turnaround here in the next two months. But will they announce it? I'm sure. I don't think you can – you can't go – and again, this goes back to money. You can't go into an NFL season and just have no name. Like, they have to root for something for the three games they'll root for before the Redskins are out of it. Um, so there has to be something there. Yeah, I, their logos as currently constructed, there is no logo with just a W. So they'll probably have to come up with something like that. They could just go and put no logo on the helmet, I guess, but they're they going to be the wonder women. How, that's such great payback. <laughs> you, you mistreat women. You're the Washington wonder women and you have yeah. those women as your mascot for the whole season. I think that's a perfectly fair trade-off. I think that many people would be mad, and I would love it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Your football, football life fans. would double tomorrow with people bitching and complaining. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I don't really want to monitor that, to be honest with you. So it's not too bad. <laughs> All right. So that kind of transitions us a little bit into the team itself, which is pretty awful, and we don't have to talk about them a whole lot because they are one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they did have a good draft. They have the second overall pick. They picked Chase Young, no-brainer, best player in the draft type potential. Um, but I want to talk about their new head coach first, which is Ron Rivera. Had a good run with Carolina, made it to a Super Bowl, um, was really good for Cam Newton for a long time. You know, called him Riverboat Ron. It kind of faded out towards the end. Now he has a fresh start here in Washington. Um, Vince, are you, are you any optimistic for Ron Rivera and, you know, this year in particular? I think that this year is kind of a lost cause, but I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, I like Ron Rivera. It, it, no secret, he was a top two pick for me for the Giants to hire him. I've got nothing against Ron Rivera. Uh, I don't even have anything against Dennis Haskins. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, against Haskins. Uh, I thought, you know, I wanted Haskins, too, for the Giants before they, they went with their pick. Um, I don't think 
I think there's only so much help you can give the Washington Redskins. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. You guys would probably know better. A coach who was successful elsewhere and actually came over and turned around a dog shit franchise and made them perennial contenders. Like, I can't – like, the Chiefs were good before Andy Reid. They weren't great. The Niners, you know, were good under Harbaugh. They weren't – they went to the Super Bowl – I can't think for the life of me of a coach who has gone to a franchise and just turned it around. Like the Patriots were good under Bledsoe. It's not like they were a nothing franchise in the late 90s, early 90s, and before that, yes. But I can't think of one franchise where someone came in and was like, okay, now you're going to be good going forward, and it was just the head coach. And I don't think the Redskins have a roster that's particularly talented. I think there's bright spots on it. I think that they obviously have cultural issues top to bottom from the front office through to the team. I mean, you can tell, you know, I'm not just saying this is a Giants fan, but Haskins and Landon Collins were so butthurt last year about the Giants games, like talking shit all this time. It's the complete opposite of how the Patriots and other successful teams operate, where the Redskins talk big and carry a small stick. That's what they were doing. And it just, to me, that's a cultural thing. Uh, there's no one in there to be like, hey, shut up, win some games, and then you can start talking. And I've seen that with the Giants, too. You know, that's happened over the years, too. The guys run their mouths. They're not very good. That's like the opposite of what you want in the NFL. Redskins did it all last year. They lose to the Giants by 21 points. It's humiliating. And, uh, and that's where they are as a franchise. So, to me, it's like, yeah, I, I, love, the, I love the Ron Rivera move. He's a, he's a stand-up guy. He's a good coach. He has his own, like, system. He's aggressive, which I love in coaches. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference for the Redskins, and I kind of feel badly for him, especially because he walked into this situation with COVID and sexual harassment and the team losing its identity and everything else. I mean, that's a tough spot for him. I think he's the right man for the job, oddly enough, though. I think he's been through a lot in the NFL that you need this guy who is a leader who could potentially change the culture. It's going to take some time, but I think this is a step in the right direction. It's a good hire for the Redskins. As you said, I wanted him as well. Um, I think he is a guy who can handle this sort of thing. It's not ideal for any franchise right now with everything going on. Uh, I think he's the right guy. As far as your question on the coaching situation, uh, I think of like Sean Payton getting to New Orleans. He kind of turned around the Saints a lot. Um, but he also, got, he also got Breeze kind of walking into his lap in that situation yeah. as well. So that, that <laughs> An helps. All-fame quarterback now to help him. <laughs> yeah, that helps too. Um, Corey Decker in the comments said Bruce Arians with Arizona. Um, yeah, he was a good coordinator. He highly touted for that. I don't know if Arizona was really any good before that. Matt, you could probably speak better than that. Can you think of any other coaches that, you know, completely changed franchises when they moved over? I got a guy that did it twice. Mike Holmgren went to Green yeah. Bay. Green Bay mm-hmm. was a flaming pile of shit, and now they're good because <laughs> of him. And uh, when he went to Seattle, he really turned around the Seattle franchise that lacked direction and just institutional control, kind of like what Vince said. Seattle was just garbage. Also, I think you guys, if we go way back, Bill Walsh. I mean, San Francisco was just awful. And then when Walsh got there in the late 70s, he was so good and his system was so different. It totally metamorphosized the San Francisco 49ers. And that coaching tree for Bill Walsh, it's not a coincidence that when you start looking down that tree, you see names like Andy Reid, Mike Holmgren, a lot of these Hall of Fame coaches that you'll see get inducted soon enough. So it's been done. Um, getting to Ron Rivera, I've met Ron Rivera a handful of times. So mm-hmm. I, can, I can attest to the type of man he is. He comes from a military family. He's a stand-up individual. Players will swear by this guy. 
that Panthers team could have quit on him at any point, but they had so much respect, so much love for him. There's no quit in a team that Ron Rivera is coaching. Bears players were pissed. That defense side of the football, even though they loved Lovey Smith, when Ron Rivera got canned after, I think it was after the Super Bowl or the year after the Super Bowl, they were not happy about it. Ron Rivera brings a very aggressive style, like you guys said. It has principles in all sorts of cover two, cover three. And keep in mind, you guys would know this watching old, you know, the NFC East. You remember the name Jim Johnson, right? The defensive coordinator for the Eagles. That was that's where Ron Rivera studied from. That's who gave him his first coaching job. So you're going to see a very similar style that Jim Johnson ran in Philadelphia when he goes to Washington. It's going to be, I mean, when he goes, yeah, when Ron Rivera is coaching it in Washington. So this is a perfect hire in my book. It, it fits for a franchise that in, that in such turmoil to have a strong leader, a guy that can really change the culture and change the player's mindset there is not a better coach to come into a situation that has Dan Snyder on the edge of his seat. The GM is just awful. I think it's, is it still Bruce Allen? I'm not sure if he's still running I things. I think he got fired. I think he got fired last year. I think that they are GMless at the moment. Okay. So Ron Rivera seems like the guy that I would hire in a situation like this. I, I would put him in this foxhole. I think he'd be a perfect fit for it. They're not a good football team, so we can start off with that. The offensive side of the football is going to struggle. They do have some names out there that you think could do something. I I love Darius Geis. I, McLaurin I'm hearing a lot of love for, but I just kind of ignore that side of the football because I just don't think it's good enough to keep pace with a team like the Cowboys and the Eagles. But then you take a look at the defensive side of the football. And, man, there are some men on this side of the football. Um, Randy, we talked about Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Landon Collins. I mean, this team is going to put pressure on the quarterback. And if you have a bad offensive line with Ron Rivera as your head coach, it is going to be a long day. Yeah, just a couple more names, too, on defense. Uh, Some veterans, and Ryan Kerrigan and Thomas Davis, which I think could be good for that defensive side. Yes, they have talent on defense. My concern with them is more offensively. Uh, and Dwayne Haskins, you know, I, was a guy I wanted for the Giants. I think, you know, I would have liked for them to land a quarterback. Obviously, they didn't. We'll get to him in a second. Um, but Haskins was a guy that everyone thought was going to be right behind Kyler Murray as the guy in the draft. And he was pretty bad last year, I, I have to say. Um, he, came in with, he came into that first Giants game in the second half through three picks almost immediately. And he really didn't show that much progression throughout the year. And I think that has a lot to do with the transition in coaching and his immaturity in, in general. Um, but Ron Rivera could be the guy that helps him turn it around. Matt, I'll start with you. Did you see anything from Haskins that shows you that he could take a little bit of a leap in year two? So did I see anything? No. And I don't think that's all on Haskins either. Because, obviously, everyone knew Gruden was getting fired. Gruden would have been the absolute worst person to mentor a rookie quarterback last year. The, the offense was stale. The roster was bad. Haskins didn't have a lot of things at his disposal. So he was really behind the eight ball on that. So can he be successful? I, I think there's a chance for it. But there's so much improvement just on his footwork and his mechanics that are going to have to be made for him to succeed at this level. And having a defensive-minded head coach, which is not terrible. Like I said, I think Ron Rivera is perfect for this. 
But there's a reason a lot of offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches end up getting head coaching jobs because you don't want to replace your offense going into the next year. And if an offensive coordinator is successful, boom, his offensive coordinator is gone. So th that's something that you have to pay attention to. Will Haskins be better than last year? I think so, but the roster is so bad on offense, I don't know if it matters. Yeah, I mean, I like the way the ball comes out of his hand. I mean, he throws a nice ball. I'll give him that. But that's really about it when it comes down to watching him play and performing games. Vince, I understand that you're probably not the biggest Haskins supporter given that you're Giants fandom. Uh, I assume you're not so optimistic about the, about the man in Washington. I'll go a step further. I'm also a Michigan fan. So oh, <laughs> Haskins is public enemy number one. Um, I did see him throw for roughly 900 yards against Michigan when, in his senior year. Um, no, I mean, I'll actually come to the defense to Haskins a little bit. I, you know, I've had to kind of by force and survival pay attention to all the young quarterbacks in the league for the last few years coming out uh, so I can defend Daniel Jones to the death. And Haskins is one of them, right? And that, and he's a major one because that was like it was Haskins or Jones. I was like, what, who's going to be the franchise quarterback for the Giants? I had my reasons as to why I was 100% certain it wasn't going to be Haskins. It had nothing to do with his NFL talent. Um, but Haskins, I think we saw a lot of maybe what why the Giants steered away. And it, it's not an insult to the Redskins. It's that Haskins, to me, was going to need a year. Uh, to sit and learn and get used to the speed of the NFL. The the raw talent was there. We knew that. He's got a deeper, stronger arm than, than you know, Daniel Jones and some of the guys who got taken before him. Uh, we know that. He's, he's not the prototypical athletic guy. I think a lot of people, if they don't, you know, if they just look at him, would assume he is. He's a big guy. Um, he's not like that. He's a pocket guy. He's pretty smart. But I don't think the pace of the NFL was going to be there for him on day one. I think the Redskins kind of had their hand forced in starting him early. So when he came into that Giants game, that was not an NFL quarterback. That, to me, is how I would describe a negative one-year quarterback. Haskins was one year behind his rookie year coming into that game. And really, most of the season, I did see – I thought he improved a little bit. I don't have specific examples, but some games I saw later in the season, he was making completions, which was a start. Um, not throwing to the wrong team, which was also an improvement. But, uh, but I do, you know, there, were, there was a little bit of, of improvement there. Now, he's got a lot of things that are going for him now with Ron Rivera there and everything else. I mean, it, maybe he takes a step forward. But to me, his step forward is basically performing like a normal rookie would. Because now he's at the point where he should be getting his feet wet, not being relied on as a franchise quarterback. And, uh, and you look at that, you can look at that across with all the young quarterbacks. You know, he's not going to take a Lamar Jackson year two step forward. He's not going to take a Pat Mahomes year two step forward. He probably never will reach those levels. But to me, he's going into year zero now, even though it's his second season. So you're going to still see a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you're going to still see okay, not great numbers. But if he cannot have, if he can have non-suck numbers, that's a step in the right direction. And I think that should be what Redskins fans should kind of be hoping for and, and I think is possible may not happen but it's possible yeah I look at the offensive roster and there's just not a whole lot here for him either that could help him develop I mean Terry McLaurin and him kind of developed a relationship towards the end of the year they're both Ohio State guys uh, and I really like McLaurin as a player but after that it falls off I mean you have the ghost of Cody Latimer who never did anything all that well for the Giants in the last couple of seasons if Steven Sims you don't have anyone I mean Jeremy Sprinkle is their starting tight end now I mean 
Uh, the only reason that we ever hear his name is because his name has a sprinkle on the back of his jersey. I think that's really the why the announcers even go out of their way to say his name. Uh, I just think that they don't have a lot of great talent around him to succeed either. So it's going to be a lot of Haskins to McLaurin this year. Um, but I don't know how much more it's going to be other than that. Um, but we have spent a lot of time on the, on the R words here on the Washington football team. I want to get each of your predictions and then we can move on. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there, Matt. And I'm just going to say they're not going to be any better than last year. And they're going to be three and 13 once again. Yeah. I, I, two and 14 seems like the record. It just feels right for them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Two or three wins. I'll say three and 13. They're like the only team in the NFC that doesn't worry me when the giants play them, which is saying a lot because <laughs> most teams worry me when the giants play them. That's like almost, it's almost like twins Yankees territory where I'm just like, whatever you got, you know, the Redskins win 12 games. I still expect to beat them once. So, um, but yeah, that said three and 13, I think feels right. Uh, weird season. Maybe they get a win early. Like who knows? Uh, I'll say three wins. Yeah, they're going to be pretty bad again, and they're going to pick in the top three once again, most likely. Um, that leads us to another team in the top five of the draft last year, Vince. This is our beloved New York football <laughs> Giants. Matt has been looking forward to this for uh, all summer long now. Um, you know, a kind of a quiet offseason for them, all things considered, with the rest of the division. Um, I think they had a smart draft. Uh, I think, you know, I don't really know how good they're going to be. I kind of am on the pessimistic side as far as that goes. So I'm going to start us off here and talk about a little optimism. And I, I know that this is going to shock people here with me talking about the Giants, but uh, I don't know how you can watch, you know, tape of Daniel Jones play football last year and not be kind of excited for the Giants' future, especially when he comes into that first game against the Bucks and he's running for first downs and running for touchdowns. And it's like a, a whole different sport that we've been watching for the last 20 years. Uh, I love Eli Manning, but not a guy that would ever really do that. So I'm really actually looking forward to watching Daniel Jones in year two. Uh, Vince, I kind of know your feelings, but I want to get Matt's feelings first here. Uh, what did you see from Daniel Jones last year, and are, are you optimistic about him going into year two? I feel like this is a loaded question because I, I think there's two possible scenarios for Daniel Jones, and it all hinges on your new offensive coordinator. So I'll start off by saying last year, Pat Shermer is excellent for young quarterbacks. If I had a young quarterback, Pat Shermer would be the first guy I would call and offer my offensive coordinator job to. As a head coach, he's not good. As an offensive coordinator, I absolutely love him. I think he does a lot of good things, and he's smart with his play calling. Now, with that being said, let me throw some bouquets at Daniel Jones' feet here. There were a lot of knocks on him. And being drafted number six overall, I believe, in 2018 – I'm sorry, 2019 was a huge stretch. No one saw that coming. So he came in behind the eight ball. There was a ton of pressure. Everyone said, no, this kid's not any good. Giants are stupid for drafting him. So what does he do? He goes out there, and he doesn't really disappoint those who think that he has talent and that he could be good. I think his athleticism was apparent on day one. His ability to maneuver in the, maneuver in the pocket, which I think is highly underrated, being able to manipulate the pocket as a rookie quarterback was highly impressive. You see, the really, the really good ones do it. Mahomes, Watson, although Watson holds on to the ball too long. And, you know, we can go on with some other quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, who's a master at manipulating the pocket and not taking big hits. But Jones's accuracy inside the numbers was simply fantastic. I think his arm strength was a little better than what a lot of people gave him credit for, so I wasn't totally shocked when he threw some pretty nice balls, even though Golden Tate had to wait for one of them. I 
forget what game it was against. I know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah. So, I, I what I see with Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback that needs refinement. I think his footwork could use a little bit of tweaking. I think his arms placement when he comes back and cocks the ball, I think it's something that you know he can work on. But the pieces are there. If I'm a Giants fan and I see Daniel Jones, I'm encouraged. But then you have the death trap known as Jason Garrett coming in. So I feel, and we'll get into the schedule, I know, but if I'm just rating Daniel Jones based off of last year, I think he's in that top 15 quarterback. Between probably 12 and 15 right now is where I would put him for 2020. But that's going to change when we start talking about their schedule. Yeah, I, I mean, you couldn't find two people who hated the Jones pick more than me and Vince. I mean, we were ready to just burn everything down at that point. So, you know, we were very much the most anti-Jones before the draft. We hated him when they picked him. Uh, and I don't know, Vince, I mean, he kind of he showed some flash, flashes in the preseason, but then that week three game where he started uh, for Eli is just, you know, most Giants fans kind of fell in love from that moment on, right? Yeah, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a mind game because I, we're talking like let's put this in perspective for a second. Daniel Jones before he got drafted was getting rave reviews such as if he tried throwing into the wind it wasn't going to go anywhere and that he had the worst accuracy and that he's a second round talent and that he uh like his stats at Duke were you know a death sentence in the NFL that some people felt he wasn't like draftable, you know, he wasn't going to last. The, the, the floor for Daniel Jones was so low from every media outlet you can point to that I don't know now if Jones is like fantastic or if he's just so much better than people expected. When he got picked sixth, in my mind, I'm like, all right, if we're going to take Jones, and that's such a Giants thing to do. He's like the most generic white guy ever. He went to some school that's not known for football. And he looks, acts, talks, everything like Eli Manning. I mean, I in my heart, I knew we were taking Daniel Jones whether I wanted to or not. But the only thing I wanted was take him at 17. Giants have two picks that year. I was like, 17, fine. I could live with that. You take, you know, a big defensive player at six, great. Well, what do they do? They take him at six. And we don't know whether that's because Gettleman had some inside knowledge that some other team really was interested in him or not. Everyone claimed that no one wanted Daniel Jones in the second round on draft night. I have no idea if that's true or not. But we take him sixth, and I let out an Anakin Skywalker no that was about 17 seconds long when this happens. I'm very upset about it. And then Daniel Jones comes in on that Bucks day, and I'm walking around Universal Studios, and I'm eating at Mel's Diner, and I'm watching on my phone as this is happening. It's like the last few minutes. I'm like, oh, my God. The Giants came back in a game. Daniel Jones scored a touchdown running the ball. Daniel Jones led an 18-point comeback in that game. Something with a kicker didn't go horribly wrong for the Giants. The Bucks missed a kick. It wasn't like a 67-yard game-winning field goal like happens to them twice a year. It was a miraculous day. And at that point, I'm like, what? Like, what is Daniel Jones? Is, he, is this guy a franchise quarterback for the next 15 years? No one thought he was a first-round talent? Or are we seeing a mirage because it's the Bucks and we tend to score 30-plus points against him? And I think at that point, too, Randy – uh, we like had scored 30 points once in like the last 30 games or something crazy. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to also understand how inept Eli Manning and the, and the entire offense was his last couple of years that he was here last few years he was there. 
So then I point this other picture with Daniel Jones is important to keep in mind. We look at guys like the other, the other guys drafted around him, right? Sam Darnold, uh, his first two years, I know you guys already covered the AFC East. His first two years haven't been great. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. You can say how much potential he has in the world. His first two years haven't been great for a guy who's taken third overall. And everyone wants to say he doesn't have the weapons, doesn't have the line, doesn't have a consistent coach, not an offensive-minded coach. Fine. All of that's legitimate. We look at Baker Mayfield, fantastic rookie year. He came in on that Sunday night or Monday night football game, whatever it was, Thursday night, I think it was, actually. Yeah, it was uh, Thursday, lights, yeah. yeah, lights up the Jets. He's got a rocket arm. He's, like, throwing through people that day. And year two comes, he loses some offensive linemen. Uh, the Browns, like, have a, sh a tough start. Everyone's like, that's okay. Baker Mayfield in year three is going to be just like Baker Mayfield in year one. He'll be fine. Lamar Jackson looks terrible his first season. You know, limited action. He looked like he couldn't hit a wide receiver if his life depended on it. He wins an MVP second year. Mahomes sits first year, wins an MVP second year. We look at all of these young quarterbacks, same time era as, as Daniel Jones. We're like, these are the reasons he's going to be good and improve. Well, Daniel Jones in his rookie year, probably the second best rookie year behind Baker Mayfield of the last five years of quarterbacks, if you're going to look at it. And yeah, Matt, you, you can do the numbers on that. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I feel like short of Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones had an incredible rookie year. And I still see all of these reasons he's going to fail, which doesn't make sense to me because last year he's got Golden Tate missing four games. You have Shepard and Engram hurt most of the season. You still have a terrible offensive line. You have Saquon Barkley hurt. He comes back. He's clearly coming back too early. He plays hurt. You'd see it in the numbers. Um, the only thing working against Daniel Jones, exactly what you mentioned. We now have Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator. And that scares me because it's my perception that he tends to neuter quarterbacks. Although I will say Dak Prescott threw for almost 5,000 yards last year, which blew my mind when I saw that stat. But um, time yards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it had to be because I don't like Dak Prescott either. But, um, but that's, you know, Jason Garrett is literally the only negative factor for Daniel Jones going into year two. And Daniel Jones' only major flaw as a rookie was taking care of the football with a terrible offensive line. You know, he had a ton of fumbles. Not a ton of interceptions. His decision-making's great. Footwork's great. Passing the ball is better than I thought it would be. Arm accuracy is way better than I thought it would be. Deep ball is better than I thought it would be, though not great. Um, so I look at this, and I'm like, why can't Daniel Jones be exactly what we think he is, which is a promising young quarterback who's going to be a franchise quarterback? And if you can accept that for the Giants as an organization, you can say whatever you want about Dave Gettleman, and there's a lot to say, and there's a lot I don't agree with, and I'm kind of upset Henry's in the gym now because he's not going to hear any of it. But if he nails the franchise quarterback, yeah, that's the hope. And if he's better than Haskins, and if he outlasts Wentz and Prescott, or Prescott walks in free agency, I mean, the Giants are all of a sudden in pretty good shape after this season. That said, this season, yeah, I'm with you. Not a lot of hope, and we haven't even gotten on the schedule yet. Yeah, I, I'll say this about Jones, and it goes to, like, no one likes Pat Shermer as a head coach, but I really think Pat Shermer's impact on Daniel Jones, as Matt said, was palpable. And I think that he's Positive a better play caller. Sure. Yeah, and I think that, like, his play calling – uh, enhance the level of Jones' play because when you have guys like Tate and Shepard who are good after the catch and Ingram when he's healthy, good after the catch, he's good at developing plays and calling plays that create space for those guys. Like how many times did Tate have a long touchdown run after catching the ball at the line of scrimmage? Like he designs those plays where the blocks are in place. And yeah, it makes Jones look good. And that's the point. But 
I think that we're losing a little bit of that offensive mind there when we lose a guy like Pat Schirmer. What I love, too, is that Jones had a, uh, a connection with another rookie in Darius Slayton, uh, who was another uh, Gettleman find, which I give him credit for, in the fifth round, who turned into a real player for them and is probably their best receiver now. I don't love Golden Tate. He's kind of old. Shepard is kind of like a younger Tate who was always concussed, it seems like. Um, so Slayton, you're looking at Slayton as the most reliable guy here as far as pass catchers go. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I watching tape and – I mean, Daniel Jones, when you said that he had the second best rookie season of all time, you, you're talking strictly touchdowns, then yes, because Baker I'm had 27. The last few years, by the way, not all time. but Yeah, Baker had 27, Jones had 24. I mean, I don't blame any Giants fan for being optimistic about Daniel Jones. Um, the reason being, and what you kind of said here earlier with, with Eli Manning, Eli Manning was so bad for the last two years that every time he had a tiny bit of pressure – he'd spike the ball into the turf and not even try to evade the pressure. Like yeah, he would just or say, fall down. Or fall down. He wouldn't even try. And it was maddening because he probably didn't have the physical ability to do so. But that's also on, like, how you run your franchise and you don't have a good offensive line or ways to avoid that situation. But that first game when Daniel Jones comes in, feels pressure, rolls out, and picks up 11 yards on a, on a first down run, or he dives in the end zone, end zone for a touchdown on that first drive. Like, that is the, those are things that Giants fans are not familiar with from the quarterback. And I love Eli Manning, and I, we've talked about my feelings about Eli Manning on this podcast before. But Daniel Jones is way more athletic and offers way more uh, in that aspect than Eli Manning ever did. Um, I need what I, and what I'm hoping for, and I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I need to see some more RPOs. I need to see some more design runs. I need yes. my quarterback to be more athletic and more involved in the running game because this is how the NFL works now. All the most successful quarterbacks run, they scramble, they pick up, they move the chains with their feet. Aaron Rodgers is so underrated in that aspect where he will just have no one to throw to and it's a third and five and he'll run for six yards. Like that matters so much. And the Giants really handcuffed him with that. So I, I'm not worried about the fumbles. The offensive line was really bad. Um, the offensive line hopefully will get better, and we'll talk about the draft in a minute. But I'm really, I, I, if I'm excited about anything regarding the Giants, it's Daniel Jones. I don't know how any Giants fan cannot feel a certain type of way about him. I mean, I think you nailed that. But I think that's where the optimism ends here with this franchise. <laughs> uh, um, Can I ask you guys one question? Because I'm, I'm curious to get your takes on it. Um, we've mentioned, you know, and I'm, I'm in agreement about Pat Shermer. I, I think, I don't think he was a good head coach. I do think he's a, he's a very good offensive coordinator. I think a team would be wise to hire him as their offensive coordinator. Do you feel, because I, I, Jason Garrett as a head coach, I, sh I thought should have been fired five years ago and he just, you know, kept on clapping his way into his job. Um, do you think Jason Garrett taking a step back from head coach to offensive coordinator could make him better at that? Or do you think he just is not a good play caller, period? Matt, go ahead, man. I like Jason Garrett with the tools that he had in Dallas, which was a superb of offensive line. Yep. He had a spectacular running back, which you can equate the Giants have a really good running back to if he can stay healthy. What they're going to try to do, I can begin. I can already begin to imagine it. That they're going to try to run the football behind an offensive line that I think is not very good. And when we discussed their draft pick, I think it was a terrible draft pick to draft for what Jason Garrett's going to want to do. It's going to be a lot of power run game, and it's going to be built off play action. Do I feel like the Giants are going to be good enough to do that? No. So 
my expectations of Jason Garrett taking a step back and being an offensive coordinator. He's good when he has the tools to be good, but this team is so far away from what Dallas has offensively that it's going to look like a lot of shit. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Garrett give up play calling duties uh, in Dallas just a few years ago? Yeah, that, Kellen, that, that's, yeah, yeah Kellen Moore had them last year. So that that's alarming to me that he's just <laughs> – they, they didn't want him to call plays anymore, but um, maybe if that's his sole focus, he'll be better at that. Right. Um, the Giants are totally trying to replicate what the Cowboys do. Um, I mean, drafting an offensive lineman, whether you agree it's the best one or not, is that is that theory there is trying to bolster your offensive line and have ball control offense they have the running back to do so um i think they have the quarterback to do so with his legs as well um so garrett in theory is going to at least at the very least try to do that uh i don't know how successful it's going to be i could see some frustration from the outside guys but i don't care about that at the end of the day if they are successful and it works i'm fine with it if it gets garrett a job very far away from the giants i'm fine with that too because at the end of the day i don't want him part of my organization and we we're pretty adamant about that. Um, so that brings me to my next uh, talking point here is just there. It's not the only new coach on the giants. They actually revamped their entire coaching staff this year uh, and hiring Joe judge, who was the special teams coordinator uh, in new England and had a college job lined up, but the giants loved him. They fit exactly. He fit exactly what they wanted him to, to be like. And, uh, and he spoke exactly what giants fans wanted to hear and, in theory, like he's just like Belichick, but that's hard shoes to fill. Those are hard things to do. So those are un- unfair expectations, if you ask me. So you have Joe Judge, uh, Jason Garrett, and you have Patrick Graham on the defensive side, who I believe was with the Dolphins last year, was with the Packers previously. I, I will get to the defensive side in a minute because I have no optimism on that side, so I won't blame the defensive coordinator for those issues. But, Matt, you've been kind of outspoken about Joe Judge before. I take it you don't really like the guy all that much, right? I don't know how you can trust a Patriots coach at this point in the game. I mean, you take a look at Matt Patricia in Detroit. We talked about him, lambasted that team. I mean, there's so many failures to these guys that try to be Bill Belichick but don't have the Bill Belichick credentials. And maybe Joe Judge brings all the video recorders with them that Belichick had, and they can start implementing that system. Maybe Joe Judge goes down as a Hall of Fame head coach. But – I don't trust it. Like when you you can only hang your hat on a a couple of guys, Eric Mangini had a winning, eh, maybe two or three winning seasons with the jets, but overall wasn't very well liked. And then I take a look at a guy like Brian Flores, who appears to be the real deal. I mean, I'm very high on the dolphins. I think that future is extremely bright. Could Joe judge fall into the Brian Flores category? I say yes, only for one reason. It's because special teams coaches, have more of a holistic view of the team as a whole. They don't limit themselves to one side of the football because they have to know what the entire team is. And by doing that, you know what you have on the defensive side. You know what you have on the offensive side. You can put those pieces together, and the special teams will be better for the Giants by default just by having a guy like that. I just – I worry about how he goes into this team and how he presents himself to the players. Because if you go in there and you start, you know, being this dictator without those credentials, it's, it's going to be really hard to win that locker room. 
Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He refused to say anyone's name on the team for like two months. <laughs> he just said, oh, "I'm not going to say anyone's name until I evaluate the roster," which is an interesting move there. Uh, but Vince, you had hard eyes from the very first press conference with Joe Judge, <laughs> so I know you're excited about this man. I I like Joe Judge, and I look I. I get what everyone says about Patriot coaches, and it is a valid point. I mean, outside of Flores, I agree with you, Matt. I really loved his rookie year. Um, but who knows what the Dolphins are going to be? Probably Nate one day. But <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know what Brian Fl- what's in the future for Brian Flores. Uh, the reason that judge, I feel like, can be different is, first of all, the early returns are good. It seems like no players early on, I, they probably haven't even spent more than an hour with him in real life. But – so far, players seem to to respect what he's bringing. And when you're a guy who's never been a head coach, that's pretty telling to me early on if if you're getting respect right off the bat. The other thing is like what Matt said. Now, at first, being a special teams guy, I was like, what the hell? He's not even a coordinator. Like, why are we hiring this guy? And I started researching what actual special teams guys do. And like Matt said, they have an, they have an overall view of the entire team. The reason I think that can be important for him as a head coach is I think the mistake coaches make when they leave New England is trying to build the roster the same way Bill Belichick does, which is a lot of interchangeable parts, a lot of savvy late picks, undrafted free agents, stuff like that. Only Bill Belichick can do that. That's why he's probably the greatest coach any of us have ever seen. He can build a roster like that. What you can replicate from Bill Belichick and you can do successfully is the accountability and the the small details, crossing the T's, dotting the I's thing that he also brings in his coaching. And that's what I'm hoping, and I don't know for sure, but I'm optimistic about it, that Judge can bring with the Giants because they really need it. The last eight years or so, no team has been more irresponsible, undisciplined, um, just overall bad product of football, missing tackles, all the things that when you gain blowing, you know, two-minute drills are awful, they're blowing leads late, they're, you know, third and fourth, 14s are getting converted left and right. All of those things that have plagued the Giants for years, partially due to a lack of talent, is also partially due to terrible coaching. They've really had bad coaching for the last four years now. I know they made the playoffs under McAdoo that year one, but they did it with like the world's largest spending spree and it put them into cap hell for the next three years. So say what you want about it. That was a deck of cards. That was a house of cards team. Um, so they've had really bad coaching. I think what Judge can bring is a culture that has accountability and he can actually get things out of players, which really since Landon Collins left, I can't think of a single player the Giants have actually taken from one level and brought to the next that they brought into the organization and didn't draft. Um, and that's really sad as far as an NFL franchise goes because you need a few of those guys in order to be good. Um, Giants haven't added. I'm hoping Judge can bring that. I'm optimistic about he's walked the walk so far. Or I'm sorry, he's talked the talk so far. He has not walked the walk because he hasn't had a chance to. Um, I don't know if this year is going to be particularly a great example of what he can do. And I'm sure we'll get into the schedule in a second. But, um, you know, I thought the draft, too, the draft wasn't trying to be too Patriot-like. Um, he did some things that had a little bit of Patriot on overtones on it, you know, later in the draft. But Xavier McKinney was not, you know, that's a guy you take 100 times out of 100 where they got him. Um, I know, Matt, you didn't like the Thomas pick. I, I think it's, it's pleasantly boring. Uh, they probably could have gotten him at 10th. <laughs> they took him at 4th. It's a very Giants thing to do. But I think that Thomas floor is very high. 
And where the Giants are as an organization, where the offensive line is as an as a unit, I think you really need a guy who's not going to bust. And that, I think I'm confident Thomas is like that, especially playing for the Bulldogs. Um, is he going to be a Nelson type Hall of Famer one day? Probably not. But I don't mind that pick. It was very boring. It was not thrilling, but I don't mind that pick. I didn't mind Judge's draft. And I think like that's where my optimism's coming from. It's reinventing the wheel without actually reinventing the wheel. Um, and I would prefer that over, you know, taking some Joe Schmo coordinator who, you know, maybe has a poor track record 10 years ago as a head coach, or maybe is just a really good offensive coordinator. We don't know if he can be a head coach. If you're gonna go that route. Go with the guy who learned under Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and see what he can teach, you know, with his own style. And so far, I think he's taught his, he's using his own style and that gives me optimism. But was he my top choice? No, I didn't even know he was until they started the coaching search. So um, freely admit that. But I, I, I think there's optimism there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I convinced myself that they only, they only – hired him because he had the same last name as the best baseball player in New York, but maybe he was related or something, but oh, yeah. um, when I grew up, it, it, you learned, when you learn about your favorite sports teams and you have you know, a lot of it is family oriented with me and it's very much tradition and it's, uh, it's old school. And it's like, you know, it takes, it's more than just being a football player. You're a giant, you know, like you, you had credibility with that. And it's the same thing with the Yankees. At least you get brainwashed when you're young and you think that they're different because they play for your favorite team. Um, yeah. But the Yank the Yankees and like giants tradition was always something that was like special and needed to be continued. And it was, it felt like we've kind of gotten away from that, you know, in the last, since, since the last Super Bowl, really. Um, and a lot of that is, poor coaching, poor decision-making by general managers, lack of discipline for the players, uh, different style players. Um, the game has changed totally for sure, and other teams have done a way better job of adapting to that than the Giants have because they are totally trying to play a game that from the 80s in 2020. Um, yeah. This is why I don't hate the Thomas pick, to your point. And, um, when you have a quarterback uh, that's young and you're optimistic about it, you need to protect them. Uh, all of your resources should be around how to make that guy as successful as possible. So I don't hate the pick. I don't care about, excuse me, whatever one you find is the most successful, whatever one you have the best preference of, like that, that's the guy you pick at the end of the day, like pick someone who is going to protect your quarterback. It's your franchise guy, the guy that you're hitching your wagon to for the next decade. You try to make him as successful as possible. And that's what the giants did not do at the end of Eli Manning's career. And that's how mm -hmm. we got into this damn mess to begin with, um, which leads me to now, uh, the general manager that we love all so much here in Dave Gettleman. <laughs> um, and I got to say, I can't blame him for all of the issues because Jerry Reese really left him with a bunch of garbage. Um, and he had to try to clean that up a little bit. But now three years in, we're already on our second coaching staff. Uh, we're on another quarterback already. And the roster is still very far away from being competitive. If you ask me, Matt, I'm going to ask you first, you know, this this is kind of the year for Dave Gettleman, right? He's done, right? I think he walked into this year being done. I don't see how you keep him in with – usually year four you start seeing all pros starting to come from that first rookie class, at least one or two. And then, well, let's face it, he hitched his wagon to Saquon Barkley, and Barkley hasn't been healthy. Obviously, there's a lot of criticism. I, I love the pick because I think running backs can be transformational. They can help 
your offense succeed. But then they traded away their best offensive weapon with OBJ. They couldn't figure out how to make that work. They missed on so many quarterbacks, it's ridiculous. I think you guys brought up the Eli Manning missing his last start, um, and they benched him for Geno Smith. But then they went back to him the following year. You make that move, you get a new quarterback as soon as you end that streak. You don't go with Eli Manning another year. There are too many potholes in Dave Gettleman's street that he's paved to bring him back for another year after this. This team's going to be bad. I mean, when we talk, just look at the schedule, they're not winning probably their first four games. And I'll get into a couple of reasons why that's going to happen. But, man, if this Joe Judge hire fails and it holds Daniel Jones back because of it, this franchise is going to be in the basement of this division probably for five, six, seven years. This was the most important hire out of anything that he's ever done, and they hired Jason Garrett as their quarterback, offensive coordinator coach, which doesn't give me a lot of faith. So he ain't coming back next year, I can tell you that much, but how much damage he's done to this franchise will be measured by the end of this season. Yeah, I. we talk about how many times the Giants have changed coaches in the last five years, and it's, it's bad stability and it's bad practice. It comes down to the front office, and they hire these guys at the end of the day. So it comes down to the general manager and the owners decide on who to hire to be coaches. So John Mara, obviously attached to Eli Manning, attached to Tom Coughlin, uh, really wanted Ben McAdoo to not leave, so they made sure he they hired them. Wanted to hire Dave Gettleman, already worked for the organization. So that's on John Mara as well. And then this is how we got here to where we are now because of the ownership and the GMs hiring who they did. Since you're a little bit more optimistic on Dave Gettleman, I'm assuming it's all Daniel Jones related, but you know, <laughs> let's hear it. Let's hear your Dave Gettleman synopsis. Look, how I've gotten my Homer reputation is that I didn't <laughs> hate the Saquon Barkley pick. And I will again amend, I thought the smartest thing to do would have been to trade back that year. I just didn't like Darnold, and I didn't like any of the quarterbacks in that draft. And so far, being proven pretty much right, no one was taking Lamar Jackson in that spot. So, uh, and nor would the Giants have made Lamar Jackson who he is anyway. So that was really what my opinion was, was we should trade back. Now, I assume that that wasn't an option, or they just really loved Saquon Barkley. But Saquon Barkley in a vacuum, I think was a good pick. I, I, I'll say it in, in forever. Uh, if you look at the talent in that draft, he was taken where he should have. And Zeke went fifth to the Cowboys. Not like this is unprecedented. He's worked out there. So that aside, uh, I don't think Gettleman's been a disaster. I do think he has kind of burned a lot of <laughs> bridges and everything else along the way in the process. I don't think he's been great. If he was great, we would be a playoff contender this year. But to your point, Randy, Again, this is kind of like the Haskins analogy. Gettleman came into this franchise in negative one year. <laughs> he, he came in well, like behind ground zero as far as building a franchise goes. We had no cap space, no talent, and like a 100-year-old quarterback and no line. So And he picked a running back to patch it all together. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, not, not <laughs> great, but I can understand his thought process there. He went Barkley and then he went Hernandez with his first two picks ever. And those were two places that we badly needed help. And I think the thought, and Akil kind of alluded to this in the comment section, where Gettleman went wrong was, instead of, to your point, Randy, building that offensive line like hell, like if he had this draft that year, 
and Nelson was the crown jewel of it. That would make a lot more sense. But he didn't do that. Instead, he said, Eli still got something left. Um, screw Ben McAdoo's thought process. We are going to get him as many weapons as possible. So they, you know, they had Beckham. They went. They tried to get running backs, wide receivers, Singram, everything else um, to try and make Eli's last few years there successful. And that was really where I think he made a major mistake. Um, you can talk about the Eli, the Odell extension and then trade, but I don't even really think the Odell trade was that bad of a decision. I kind of get why they did it. Um, and I think that they got market value. I know, Randy, I know we were at odds with that. I really think they got market value in return for that with the first and the fourth round pick, as well as an offensive lineman, as well as Peppers, who I like as a safety. Um, but you know, my, issue with that, go, my issues go beyond the transaction itself. Um, we could talk about it, but their whole issue, like they blame their entire issues with their franchise in the last decade, basically on Odell Beckham Jr. Like they pinned all the culture problems on him. Like yeah. they said, the reason that we're not the old Giants is because this man came in and he dances after he scores touchdowns and he has a hissy fit on the sideline when he doesn't get the ball. He's a diva wide receiver. At the end of the day, like these guys, like, yeah, they, they can be problematic. But they live out on an island on their own. They shouldn't have that sort of impact on your franchise if you have stability within your organization. So the way they, they, the way they pinned Odell wrong like that is always going to rub me the wrong way. The way they signed to an extension, and it's the famous quote that I lived by, was we didn't sign him to trade him. Still eats me to this day because I, I was all in on Gettleman. I'm like, yeah, he's my guy. He's not going to trade him. And I, I would use that quote anytime there were rumors of they're going to trade Odell. I'm like, not trading Odell. Why would they sign him to trade him? And then the day he got traded, I was sleeping because I worked stupid early in the morning. <laughs> and I, I, they traded him at like 8 o'clock at night. I woke up at 2 in the morning to like 250 text messages, more notifications on my phone than I ever had before just because I was so adamant it was not going to happen. And it sure did. And I, ever since then, I have this disdain for Dave Gettleman. I was so mad about it. But looking back on it, for sure, the transaction itself, not the worst deal in the world. Um, but it goes beyond just the transaction itself. Matt, I, I saw you wanted to say something there. Yeah, I want to bounce around on two things with Gettleman. One, so let's put the Barkley draft in a vacuum. All right. You have an older quarterback. The best weapon for a quarterback is an offensive lineman. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew. Everyone said in this draft, Nelson's a Hall of Famer. It, it was no secret. Everyone knew his footwork, his strength, his technique. Everything was the best offensive lineman to come out of a draft since Orlando Pace. And if you guys know who Orlando Pace is, he's a Hall of Fame tackle. He, he, he protected Kurt Warner and saved his life a handful of times. You take the offensive lineman that you know is going to be a Hall of Fame player, and it goes back to Gettleman's quote, who's proven to be a liar. He says he takes gold jacket players in the draft. You had one right on your front step. Second part about Eli, you are a talent evaluator. You are a scout. That is your roots. If you could not tell Eli was finished the year before you came in there, you don't need to have that job. That is a huge problem. You go into a team and you're like, oh, this ancient quarterback who's won a lot of titles. Yeah, well, guess what? Tom Brady is a year away from winning a Super Bowl, and Bill Belichick said, I don't think you got it. See you later. The best quarterback probably we could argue in the history of football. I'm, he's not in mine, but, you know, a, a lot of people would argue that. And Bill Belichick still got rid of him. There is no loyalty in the NFL. These hoes ain't loyal, and the NFL ain't no one loyal either. 
You I, I, I don't think you've met the mirrors or the dishes. I think <laughs> yeah. Randy can back me up on that. They're loyal to a fault, and I think Eli Manning yeah. is a is a wonderful example of that. And and, and that's um, fine, but th that's why you are where you're at. If, yeah, if, no, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Like I said, had had Gettleman gone that route in that draft, I would have been fine with it. But I will not for a day apologize he took Barkley over Darnold. And realistically, most of the people who had a problem with the Barkley pick wanted Darnold. And then maybe yep. now they'll go and they'll go back and revise that and say, oh, I should have traded back, should have taken out whatever. But that's the fact of the matter. Everyone <laughs> wanted the Giants to take a quarterback in that draft. They wanted it to be Darnold. They didn't take Darnold. They took Barkley, a running back. And I don't regret that for a second. That's fine. But you take Nelson number two. Yeah, I, no, I, I I, I think that would have been the best. That, that's Gettleman in a nutshell is he always gets the B minus move. It's, it's never the F. It's never the A plus. It's always a B minus. Thomas, again, this draft pick, perfect example. B minus move. It's, uh, it, it's not sexy. He probably wasn't the most talented guy at four. He probably could have been taken later, but he'll be functional. Daniel Jones, same thing. I mean, every, everything you look at with Gettleman is somewhere in between. Um, I, and that's how I feel about his legacy. I think that he did some good things. He was better than Reese's last few years here when Reese utterly destroyed the entire franchise and set it to the ground. Um, remember, Gettleman came in here with a three-win team and, uh, and no money <laughs> and no talent. Yeah. And so, he's going to leave with a three-win team and no money. <laughs> and no with talent. talent. And a franchise quarterback. So, those, you know, he, it's, it's an incremental improvement. I think there's a scenario the Giants could be competing. I won't say for a Super Bowl, but they could be competing for a playoff spot by 2021 in a best-case scenario. I think that is at least on the table for them. A lot of it hinges on how Daniel Jones can develop this year and how that Garrett transition works. But there is a scenario, I think, they've got young defenders who have not been great so far, but I still think have the talent to be decent. And they definitely have offensive weapons at least that are there if they can stay healthy. So it's a lot of it, but that's the best case scenario. Gettleman may leave with one more draft. This team could be a playoff team. I, you know, I, I see that for them potentially. Uh, th this is going to be unpopular with you two. And I know you two are going to hate this, but Shermer should still be the head coach this year. Everything being considered. Mm. I, I know no. you guys are shaking your head. You do Have not watch that man do a post game. That, that's fine. All that stuff. I get it. I get it. You knew, but here's the thing. You knew this team wasn't going to be good coming into this year because there's yeah. just too many holes on the roster. You right. don't up and your quarterback, your potential franchise quarterback, what you saw on tape last year was real and tangible. It was real. He was progressing. He was getting better. You don't up and that for an extra win. I get the, the culture had to change. But your franchise quarterback under one more year under Shermer probably takes another exponential leap, and then you can move on. You can get a different offensive mind. You don't do it after year one. The problem is then those, those aren't judges' guys, though. And then you have another year of guys who aren't judges' guys. Like, it's a, it's a rock and a hard place to me. I, I get what you're saying. If Shermer was willing to take a demotion and just be the offensive coordinator, that would have been the best, the best move of all to me. We'd have no Garrett. We'd still have Shermer developing Jones, and we'd have an actual leader for a coach. But to me, it's, it's you know, cutting your, your nose to spite your face. It's, uh, yeah, you could have had Shermer one more year, and maybe that helps Jones. But then 
judge is going to come in here anyway, and there's going to be even more guys he has to move around. It was evident to me, Matt, I'm completely in agreement with you. Whether the Giants win the Super Bowl this year or have the first pick in the draft, Dave Edelman's not going to be the GM next year. I think that this was a a yeah I know you're celebrating I think this was a designed transition year they wanted to hire a guy like Judge who was going to take the keys to this franchise and I think the draft reflected that this was the first draft under Gettleman that did not look 100% Gettleman there were signs of Joe Judge having a stay and making decisions in this draft whereas the other ones it was exclusively Gettleman and our offseason was exclusively signing ex-Panthers and ex-Cardinals to match our coaches this was a little different. There were some expats, but this was a little bit different. So I think this was a transition year, and I think next year, Gettleman, they won't fire him. That's not a Giants thing to do, but they will. he'll be like some sort of front office title that is not the GM. But here's a rabbit hole you're down now. All right, so you don't know. If Jones takes a step back, now you have a question mark at quarterback. And uh, obviously – yeah, obviously we don't know that. And that everything's on the table with Jones this year. He could either mm-hmm. be really good or he can be exponentially bad. Then you take a look at, all right, if Shermer stays, Jones has a really good year, but the Giants still suck, which they're going to suck. You have coaches that are going to want to coach the Giants. You, you get to pick them now because now they know they have a quarterback. Coaches will die to have an opportunity to coach a real quarterback in the NFL. You don't have to settle on a special teams coordinator coming from the Patriots that you don't know who's going to succeed. You have options at your table now. You even said it, Vince. Ron Rivera didn't even interview with the Giants because he took the Redskins offer or the Washington Football Club offer. Like, no, I ain't going to New York. That's a mess. But with an extra year of Jones progressing under a quarterback expert, you kind of have coaches – that know that let's say Gettleman's gone and Joe judge doesn't have control of player personnel. You hire a a new GM, brand new GM. So not only do you have a head coach who's possibly doesn't like your quarterback, then you can hire a GM that doesn't like their head coach. Now you're just in a death spiral. This is the issue that this team is facing. I think it was a bad, but that's why I think judges go. I think he is being groomed to take player personnel or else it, it wouldn't make sense. So that's that's my theory is I think that he I think he is the the they're putting their eggs in the Joe Judge basket and they're hoping he's the next big thing. Now whether that's smart or risk averse, you can have that argument. But the Giants aren't really in a position to have a lot of options like that. They really need to find that next guy who's going to take control of this franchise going forward and isn't a hundred years old like Dave Gettleman. They need that guy who can lead the way. And if it all blows up, Matt whether it's the GM, a different GM coming in, whether it's Joe Judge getting fired, whether it's Daniel Jones taking a step back, then someone else can come in and draft a new quarterback. And next year would be a great time to do it with the draft class that's coming in. So, uh, you know, they could pull a Cardinals if they really wanted to. But the fact that Judge didn't do that this year and he, he keeps Daniel Jones there, I think there's hope there. Now, is Jason Garrett going to come in and murder Jones' entire career? I would like to think that he's not – uh, I don't like Jason Garrett, but I, I don't think he will he will assassinate J- Jones' entire career. Will he develop it like Shermer might have? I don't know. But I just – I don't think they have as many options. I, I think that's a very optimistic way to look at, at the state of the franchise right now, um, which is funny because usually I'm the one who does that. But <laughs> to me yeah. – to me, I think Judge was brought in there to carry that franchise. 
whether smart or not, again, I, I can't say, but if you're going to do it, that makes sense why he's a special teams guy and not an offensive or defensive coordinator, because he's a guy who knows everything about everything and can come in and, and make player personnel decisions. So I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. This, this is the same franchise that let the corpse of Eli Manning start for three years after he clearly couldn't throw football further than 12 yards. So they're not going to give up on Daniel Jones in year two, regardless of how poorly it goes this year. They are That's why they brought in Shermer, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was because they, of Eli Manning as quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they, they are going to be loyal to Daniel Jones, even if it's to a fault, because we've seen this before. He was drafted because he is literally more boring version of Eli Manning somehow. He is the milk toast Eli Manning, which I didn't know you could get more boring than Eli Manning, but here we are with <laughs> Daniel Jones. And they're going to be loyal to him. He's very much the guy that they look at and is like, if there was a face on the side of the helmet to represent the Giants, it would be Daniel Jones's stupid face with his black hair halfway down his <laughs> – the bangs halfway down his forehead. Like, he's the prototypical Giants guy. They're not going to give up on him that quickly. They're not. Do you know, that's the problem with the Giants right there, is that ownership is too involved in player personnel decisions. As soon as – <laughs> As, as soon as ownership starts telling you what to do with players, you failed as a franchise. Yeah, you won't get yeah. an argument from either of us there. I don't, I don't, yeah. the, the Tishes and Maras haven't demonstrated that they can, they can do that successfully. So, I'm going three and 13. Uh, three and 13, by the way. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll wrap this up. We've talked about the Giants for a long time here. Gettleman, good drafter, really poor in all other aspects, if you ask me. Uh, I can just name a few names here Nate Solder, Jonathan Stewart. Uh, Leonard Williams, Golden Tate, and the list goes on and on. And with those player signings from the Giants, um, it's a poor it's a it's a poor defensive roster. Decent uh, offensive upside, if you ask me. Uh, the schedule absolutely just brutal, uh, and I think that's why this team is going to be bad again this year. I think that their absolute peak is four and twelve. Uh, you said three and thirteen, Matt Vince. What about you? You know, I'll I'll take the over. I'll say they'll go five and eleven again. And really, honestly and truly, I think the roster is better than it was last year. But because of that schedule, uh, I don't think the record's going to reflect it. I think they can get to 5-11. and 11. Matt and I had a very, very long argument before this show about what their floor is. I would say 3-13 and 13 is a worst-case scenario. Um, I'll take 5-11. and 11. Can they get to six or seven wins? Yes, but with this schedule, I highly doubt it. I would say four wouldn't shock me, but I'll take 5-11. and 11. Here's the real issue with it. You have a new offensive system coming into place. There's no preseason games. There's no live training camp up until I think the third or fourth week in August. You were playing the top six, seven, eight defenses the first four weeks. You are yeah. not winning any of those games. So that's going to be a real issue. Basically, you're looking, you have to go five and nine. The rest, no, I'm sorry, I'm way off. Seven. Yeah, five yeah. and seven, right? Five and seven for the rest of the way, and that's going to be a monumental task. To Matt's point, they open up at uh, against Pittsburgh, at Chicago, versus San Francisco, against the Rams, and then at Dallas. You know, those are five tough games right out of the gate. There. I'll say they'll, they'll go one and four no matter how you slice it in those five games, I think. I still think the Bears is the only winnable game in that stretch. Matt adamantly disagrees, but <laughs> we need to move Even on to the Giants at this like, point. <laughs> would it shock you, though, if they beat the Steelers or um, yeah. or the, or the Ra or some combo of the Rams or Cowboys? Like, it, it wouldn't shock me. I don't expect if, it, but it wouldn't shock me. If the Rams were coming to MetLife, I, would, I could see it. But the Giants don't travel that out west. in L.A.? Yeah, that, I'm yeah. with you. That's, they don't, that's not they, a they don't travel to the coast well. 
they're more likely to lose by 30 than win that game. But, um, yes. you know, Cowboys-Steelers I don't think is insurmountable. And the Bears are definitely not insurmountable. I mean, are the Bears favorites? Yes. But can they win one of those three games with a new coach? Maybe, you know, having that sort of motivation and shit and stuff like that. I think it's po- I think it's possible they could be one and four. Not without the preseason. That's too bad. Yeah, I, who, do, who do they have after that real quick? I just, <laughs> what Washington. Okay. So they have after week – so then they have Washington, then they have at Philly against Tampa, at Washington, and at Philly until then it's a bye. I mean, that so could they can win those three games against there. Washington. Washington, yeah. I, I totally anticipate being wins. Um, but then Cincinnati is after the bye. I can see that being a win. And then they end with a kind of a tough stretch. Uh, it's at Seattle, the Cardinals, the Browns, at the Ravens on my birthday. Thanks, NFL. Uh, and then against the Cowboys to wrap up the season. Yeah, uh, four or five wins feels right. I'll still say five wins. I think there's five There's five games they can win on that schedule. And they usually win one that you don't expect, even though they lose, like, all of the games you expect. So uh, I can't wait for Odell to have 200 yards uh, against the Giants in Week 15. Yeah, he he uh, might not have hamstrings <laughs> by that time in the season. Yeah, you never that's, know. That's, all, that's also true. Uh, <laughs> all right. So as we mentioned earlier in the show, this is a two-team division, much like the NFC South is. Uh, this I, I find it hard to believe that any other team would contend for this title. But we're going to start off with the team that won the Super Bowl most recently in this division. It pains me to say that, but it's the Philadelphia Eagles who probably have the best stable situation of any of these teams in this division, uh, have the best head coach in this division, and probably the best GM in this division as well. Matt, I know you love the Eagles, but talk to me more about the uh, Doug Peterson-Howie Roseman connection that they have there in Philadelphia. Oh, by far, it's the most stable one. They definitely work hand-in-hand. I just Doug Peterson, when you talk about guys, Riverboat Ron, Doug Peterson takes that to, like, multiply that by 50 Doug Peterson has the balls the size of grapefruits, and I love it. Like, players buy into that shit. You know, I I don't think that could be understated. When you know your coach believes in you so much that he'll go for it on fourth and seven, even go for it on fourth and down in the biggest game of them all, and have your tight end throw a touchdown pass in the biggest game against one of the greatest dynasties that ever was. I mean, Doug Peterson has this locker room on lock. They believe in him. And I think that's why they win a lot of close games is just because the players trust their coach, which makes a huge difference. So Doug Peterson can go to Howie Roseman and be like, hey, I need this guy to do this. I think they're really good at squeezing every ounce of talent out of the roster that they have. Obviously, the elephant in the room when we talk about Peterson and Roseman is the backup quarterback position because Wentz has a propensity to get hurt at certain points during the year that could really stub their toes. And as much as I love the Peterson and Roseman connection, I really have to question, does this team like their starting quarterback? Because they seem to play better with their backup quarterback than they do with their starting quarterback after he got injured. I don't know if it's a Super Bowl situation where they had Big Dick Nick, who's now a Chicago Bear, thank God. But – I don't know. I'm just not sure if I buy this uh, Carson Wentz leadership that Eagle fans will shovel upon my grave if I'm wrong about this. But I love the Eagles roster. I just don't love their quarterback situation. I mean, that's a good transition into the next topic about the Eagles is, you know, the elephant in the room is Carson Wentz because uh, he was an MVP favorite in 2017 when he got hurt. And as we know, Nick Bowles came in and led them to win the Super Bowl over the Patriots. And one of the most improbable things that I think I can even still even say, I still can't believe that that actually happened. Um, 
But Vince, I, I don't know about you. I'm not that optimistic that Wentz can stay healthy because he hasn't proven it yet to this point. I'm not a Wentz guy. I didn't realize he played uh, he played every game last year, I think, which uh, was the first time. But I there's there's something about him. He he's definitely injury prone. Like even if he was healthy last season, I don't think that's necessarily like oh his problems are behind him. He's he's a guy who is willing to take a big hit, and those big hits can tend to sit sideline him. There's some quarterbacks who know not to. There's other guys who who do, and he doesn't have the physicality, I think, to be like a Cam Newton or a Ben Roethlisberger who's good. Get get crushed their entire career and and go ten years without getting hurt. Um, I I think he plays like that sometimes, but he's not that. So he is injury prone to me, um, and I think he is very good. I don't think he's great. I don't think he does anything particularly amazing. I know he had like that one MVP stretch um, that didn't lead to him winning the Super Bowl and led to Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl instead. So I don't know what kind of leader he is either. And in any other sport, I would say those things are overrated. But I think as quarterback of a football team, there really is something to be said about leadership and garnering respect and making your teammates better and stuff like that. I don't know that Wentz offers that. Um, Now, fortunately, Dak is his main competitor in this division. I don't know if Dak offers that either. But I'm not a big Wentz guy. I will say this. Here's the one stat to me. If I'm an Eagles fan or if I'm trying to pick a winner in this division – the Eagles' floor here is seven wins just historically without even looking at the talent on their roster. They've lost less than seven games once this century, which is insane to me. 1999 was the last time uh, they won They won four games in 2012, which if you remember, like, everything fell apart. Everyone was hurt that season. They that was the dream team year, right? That was, like, yes. the dream team type year. Yep. That entire year fell apart for them. Um, other than that, yeah, the the last time they won five games, sorry, not six games. Last time they went five and eleven or worse was nineteen ninety nine. So we know their floor is pretty much seven wins, um, and that's big to me because you don't know what the Cowboys are. But for me, the Eagles, I'm not a big one guy. Uh, I think he's good enough to win probably the nine games that they've won the last <laughs> two of three years. I think uh, they they might win a wild card or you know they're on the table for the division but to me this is a a nine-ish win team and Wentz is a good not great quarterback who may or may not stay healthy that's kind of how I would best categorize yeah. it I kind of hated the Wentz pick at first because I just didn't love a guy who played not at the highest level of college football possible and didn't think that was going to be something that transition transitioned well to the NFL but to his credit he really has put together a decent career so far uh, he really has a, a lot of talent. I mean, he, he has a big arm. He's super athletic. He extends plays. He makes plays uh, that shouldn't be made. And it's like a Russell Wilson type quality where, like, he pulls a play out of a hat where you're like, I don't even know how that was possible. But he also will miss routine throws, and he will miss the, the throws that you should be able to make in your sleep. And my mm-hmm. other biggest complaint about him is that he has tunnel vision with Zach Ertz. Uh, anytime something goes wrong or any play, he is only looking at Zach Ertz. He wears 86. He's always looking for that tight end over the middle. He never looks at his outside guys. He doesn't really, like, extend the play and dump it off to the running back. He very much favors Zach Ertz in the offense. And Zach Ertz is a good player. I'm not saying he's not, but I, I wish he could go to his second read or his third read. It's always just kind of stares down Zach Ertz a lot. And I know, Matt, you would probably know better with the tape, but you get that sense from once too. Yeah, well, I think you see it in a lot of instances where the wide receivers quit on the routes early. They don't extend routes because, yeah, it's a great tool to have is that security blanket. But if that's the guy that you're looking for, and the tape does show that he will single out Ertz, which 
I mean, Ertz is a all pro tight end, so I really don't blame him. He's a great player, but I think that's what you kind of see how the team opened up with Nick Foles. They saw what life could be like with a quarterback that goes through the reads and sees the entire field. And that may be one of the lingering effects of this team is with Carson Wentz. He's looking at Zach Ertz. I'm not going to get the ball. Therefore, I'm not going to run the route that to my fullest ability. So there is probably a lot more validity in that than Eagle fans would like to admit. And I, I think it holds this team back. His talent is undeniable. I don't think there's one thing on the field that Carson Wentz cannot physically do. The arm, he could throw the ball wherever you want on the field. He can make whatever read that you want. I've seen Carson Wentz make fantastic reads. He goes through progressions. I just don't know why he doesn't. So it, it's a mystery. Everything's there. He's got a full toolbox, probably more mental than anything else. Yeah, um, like you said, no more Nick Foles to back him up. And Nate Sudfeld and Kyle Loletta as their backup quarterback, who Vince probably yeah. loves so much. Yes. Um, but the guy that they the guy that they drafted is really the guy who's going to come in here and play in case of injury here, and that's Jalen Hurts, uh, the quarterback from Oklahoma, which was kind of a surprise when they drafted him. But now that I look at the roster, I'm less surprised because you need some sort of insurance for when this guy gets hurt, and you have to kind of anticipate that at this point. Uh, I know that you kind of fell in love with Jalen Hurts before the draft, Matt. Um, it's kind of a good situation for him with Doug Peterson, right? Yeah, he goes to a quarterback expert. You know, there's a handful of them in the league that I would totally trust a quarterback to fall into. It's a good opportunity. I still wish the wide receivers were a little bit better. I think Jalen Rigor is going to be really good once he gets some experience. I, I, I don't think he's a year one standout rookie receiver, but year three, four, five, I think you really have something there. Alshon Jeffrey, I still think – Man, that guy gets hurt more than any other wide receiver I've ever seen in my life. His soft tissue injuries are abundant. So I worry about Alshon Jeffrey, and then we've talked about Deshaun Jackson being old. With that being said, I really do like that wide receiver core. I think they're okay, and Jalen Hurts is in a pretty good situation. I wish they had a better running game, but, you know, every year it feels like a version of Corey Clements out there. Like, that's the synopsis <laughs> of the Eagles. It feels like Corey Clement's been back there since 2010. I know he hasn't, but it feels like it has been. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like uh, Rigor the more I watch him play, too. And uh, I'm a big Miles Sanders guy. Uh, Miles Sanders played really well for them. It's not the greatest running game ever, but he backed up Saquon at Penn State uh, and is actually an effective running back, I think, for sure. Um, but Vince, uh, the year that you talked about with 2012, they, they signed Nambi Asamoah. They talked about the dream team and everything. They, this off season, they acquired uh, a number one corner and I think it could be a real difference maker for them. Uh, they traded for Darius Slay from the lions and this is a big get for them because their secondary was really bad last year. So, I mean, does this kind of, I don't want to say make their defense better because it obviously does, but what do you make, how do you think Slay fits in with them? really well I mean that, that's what they needed to address was was their cornerbacks they had none by like week five last year I feel like they had like nine of them get hurt um just one of those seasons but they didn't have you know fantastic talent back there anyway um the right. Eagles always 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 have a good defensive line I don't know why I I mean I do know why it's their coaching <laughs> but um they always have a good defensive line so if they can have a good secondary I've got a lot of faith in that defense. It's a it's a sexy stat creating defense usually. Um, 
And it's something that I think their defense is definitely an edge over the Cowboys, which, you know, we're going to talk about the Cowboys as, as obviously their only competition this year for the division. I would take the Eagles defense pound for pound over the Cowboys defense this year. Um, but man, it's so close. You know what Matt said, Doug Peterson's probably my second favorite coach in the NFL behind uh, obviously Bella, you know, what Belichick can do. Uh, I loved what Doug Peterson did. I loved and hated what Doug Peterson did the Super Bowl year. I thought he was a mad genius. Um, so that's huge. I mean, it's huge when you have a coach who's like that brilliant, and Doug Peterson is that for offense. Um, the Eagles always have a good coaching staff. They always have a good defensive coordinator. They have a lot of defensive talent uh, on that D line every year. Now they have Slay. So you know, you add Slay in that context, that's a that's a pretty big coup. Um, and I, you know, they had a, a good, not great draft in my mind. I, I don't think it was a bad draft by any means. It wasn't a top five draft by any means either. And, uh, and Hertz is there. He could be insurance. I'm not a huge Hertz guy. Uh, I don't really love big 12 quarterbacks, although Baker Mayfield certainly surprised me. So I don't know what to expect. Um, but you know, the Eagles have a, a high floor. I know that, uh, yeah. their ceiling's probably not that high. <laughs> but that might be enough to win the NFC East. So I, I think Slay definitely helps them. Uh, he filled a need that they have. I don't, I don't know where to go with this team. I, I've got a window they can go in, and I really don't know what's going to determine it past that. So if you take out Slay, I mean, they have Mikel Roby Coleman, Jalen Mills, Rodney McLeod, Avante Maddox. So, I mean, he really is the number one corner, and he's the guy that's going to be at the people. wall. Yeah, without him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's added to a list of guys like Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, um, Nate Gary, and Matt, I know that you really think Slate fits in perfectly with this defensive unit, right? Yeah, Slate's probably either, if not the best cornerback, he's in the top three. He shuts down a lot of passing games, and a lot of people aren't going to try to challenge him too much. I don't think enough love is getting thrown Jalen Mills' way. I know you guys probably see him <laughs> more than I do, but Jalen Mills – there is a ton of potential there. And if he just keeps on getting better, and I, I know they're moving him to safety. I, I read that. So he's going to safety. It's going to be a problem for offenses to throw against that secondary. I know you guys don't like it, but I, this is a lot better defensive football team with Jalen Mills at safety, Darius Slay at corner, and Mikel Roby Coleman playing – alongside if, if Ro Roby Coleman's playing nickelback this secondary is really good the uh the Mills issue I have is that he gets beat by double moves more than any other corner I've ever seen that's why so he moved to safety good. and I was gonna say it's good that they're moving into safety because he could easily get exposed and I'm talking like by guys that aren't even that great route runners so you throw a pump fake his way he bites nearly every time so that's the issue when you're a corner let me throw this at you guys because I know we'll go to the Cowboys next. Let's go through their schedule real quick. Let me know where they're going to go, like based on the actual matchups. Not because I can tell you right now they'll they'll go somewhere between you know eight and ten wins probably. But let's actually go through their schedule here. First four games are Redskins, Rams, Bengals, Niners. Two and two. I would say two and two. Bengals, Rams, Redskins, Niners. At, uh, if, it, if it helps with the ads, they're at Washington, they're at yeah. Niners. I could see three and one with Niners being the one. Okay. So remember that. 
Uh, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Giants, and Cowboys. I'd say two and two in that stretch. Probably losing to Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I'll say two and two. <laughs> that puts me at four and four. I think. What do you think? I. Where are the at? Are they at Pittsburgh or at home? They're only at Pittsburgh. The rest are at home. Yeah. Oh shit. Um, yeah. Nice, Jesus. For me, yeah, probably four and four. I just think Baltimore's too good, and having to go to Pittsburgh is going to be rough. Now, coming off the bye at Giants, that's a win across the board. I'm not even going to ask you guys your opinion on that. So that's five and four. Now they've got at Browns, home versus Seahawks, at Packers, and home versus Saints. It's pretty favorable when you look at the homes. Yes, but, you know, Seattle getting Seattle to come to you is way, way more important because going to Seattle is way more difficult. If, yeah. if there are not any fans, it might not matter, but that's a whole other conversation. Point. Yeah, um, but at Green Bay, still be tough, and New Orleans outdoors, I'm not that concerned about. I, I would have uh, – I guess I, I would have three and one in that stretch. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to okay, go four so and four. You go 4-0? Wow. All right. So I'm at eight wins right now. Uh, and then they yeah. finish with at, Car- at Cardinals, at Cowboys, and home versus Washington, which I think is two wins. I think it's two wins. Yeah, two wins, yeah. So I, I finished at 10-6, and six, so there's my answer. <laughs> Where did you guys end up? I had 11-5. I got 11-5. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. That, that was an exercise that helped me because I, I like – if I look at them on paper, I'm like, that's an eight to 10 win team. Now I actually draw it out. It's a 10 win team. So um, that's um, Eagles to me. By the way, so that, Leon hates Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Leon couldn't <laughs> disagree more with that exercise. <laughs> what did he say? He said, Carson is done in the show. Suspect running game. Eagles are overhyped. Nice. I like that. All right. yeah, bring like bring that, that energy, Leon. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay, that leads us to one last team here, which I think is the best team in the division, which you guys say, if we said Philly's going to win 11 games, then it says a lot about the Cowboys, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> going right back they, to the schedule exercise. Yeah, um, which I'm sure we'll wrap up with. Um, but they were in the news this week. We should get to the news first is that they did not agree to a contract extension with Dak Prescott before the deadline. Um, so he will play on the franchise tag this year. And I think the Cowboys kind of feel about Dak Prescott the same way I do where, like, he's fine, um, but I don't know if I want him to be my quarterback for the next five years. So why not tag him and see if, you know, I feel differently afterwards. Um, Matt, do you feel any differently about Dak Prescott than that? Anytime you start playing games with quarterbacks, it's kind of like one of those things where they want to know what's behind the curtain rather than knowing what they have, which can be a big mistake in the NFL. I'll say this. Dak Prescott is like the girl you're dating. You, you know you're not going to marry her, right? You're just <laughs> bringing this thing along because you're not sure if you want to break up yet and test the field. But you know she ain't the one. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where Dak's at. I, a lot of people will put Dak in that top ten range because based off last year, I saw a lot of garbage time points. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bears absolutely brutalized his whole mental state. He was thrown to routes that weren't being run. He was thrown to guys that weren't open. I mean, that's textbook Dak from all the big games that I've seen from him. Fourth quarter, 
his fourth quarter stats are otherworldly. I mean, he's probably the best fourth quarterback in the NFL, but it also helps when defenses are playing prevent and letting you get those mm-hmm. chunks of yards. He, he's not worth $30 million a year and upward. I mean, I'm fine with paying him under $30 million and kind of writing this thing out. But when you talk about windows, they signed Cooper to that big deal, but you got a running back that's been run into the ground quite a bit with Ezekiel Elliott. You're losing pieces to that offensive line. I mean, I, I just see a lot of downhill progression from Dak. Uh, Vince, I know you're not a Carson Wentz guy. You made that pretty clear. Are you a Dak Prescott guy? I might be less of a Dak Prescott guy. <laughs> so, oh, okay. uh, I mean, look, this is – Dak Prescott is the anti-Sam Darnold, right? Like, Dak Prescott's only put up decent to good numbers – with every weapon possible almost his entire career for every single game. To Dak's credit, he's played every single game, so there's something to be said about his durability. But he has had a fantastic offensive line and an all-pro running back since the day he entered the league. And now he's got – he had Amari Cooper. He struggled without Amari Cooper. Now he's got Amari Cooper. So without a number one receiver, he also – he can't get it done. With pressure, the one year the Giants were good, they beat the Cowboys twice, Dak Prescott was – Awful. Awful in those two games when the Giants could pressure him. Same experience with the Bears when they could pressure him. Dak can't do anything at an elite level unless he has every single variable in his favor. And for that, he's not a top 10 quarterback. For me, he may not even be a top 15 quarterback. I'd have to kind of think about that for a second. I don't know if he's a top half quarterback in the NFL. Um, but that said, Dallas has the luxury of having Dak Prescott as their quarterback because they have so many weapons on that offense. They still have a good line. They still have Zeke. I think he's got at least one more year left in him before he, I mean, he's 24. He's not, you know, dying. Um, and now they've got Gallup and Amari Cooper. Gallup became everything I was fearing he would. And now you've got, you've got Lamb on top of it who they drafted. So <laughs> you got three big weapons. They've got always have like those little leprechaun white guys who come and go and make catches on the Giants for no reason on third down. <laughs> uh, and then you, you've got you know, probably some smart tight end from Iowa who can block really well. And then you've got their uh, Zeke in the backfield. So Zach, I mean, Dak, again, has everything he could possibly need to put up decent numbers, and he probably will. But for me, this is probably the last year of the Cowboys' window. And they really need to make it count, and I think they will in the regular season. Yeah, that's a good, that leads perfectly into this next segment because, I mean, regardless of your feelings on Dak Prescott, their roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is insanely talented. It's a really uh, good – it might be the best offensive roster in the NFC. Yeah, and, and Matt and I talked about how much we love Tampa Bay last week. Um, this might contend with best offense, but I think Tampa would have the edge quarterback-wise. But Ezekiel Elliott is an all-pro running back. Um, Amari Cooper is a legit number one wide receiver who just got paid. Uh, Like you said, Michael Gallup turned out to be a great number two receiver. He's really freaking good. Uh, They don't need C.D. Lamb, but they picked him at 17 anyway. I think that was more to spite spite Philly more than anything else, which I respect Mm -hmm. any pettiness at that point. Um, And Blake Jarwin, who isn't Jason Witten by any means, but he will still somehow score three touchdowns in a game against the Giants. Um, That's just the pass catchers here. Their offensive line isn't what it used to be, but it's still damn good. Um, This, this offense is loaded and I'm not looking forward to playing them because I don't think the Giants defense is going to come close to even stopping them at all. And they dropped 30 on the Giants head both times they played last year. 
and it could get worse this year. Uh, Matt, my question for you is, is this the best offense in the NFL, and is this the best wide receiver core in the NFL? No one, no. Wow. Well, I Elaborate. Mean, I, I'm taking the Chiefs wide receivers over anyone else's because I got the best quarterback okay. in the NFL. Tyree Kill's yeah. the fastest man in the NFL. You can't cover him with a cornerback alone. Um, and then you talk about best offense in the NFL. I'm sorry, best wide receiving core in the NFL. We're pinning our hopes on a rookie wide receiver as being this huge difference maker. He ain't Randy Moss. So let's just get that out of the way right now. Well, they, in my defense, they are doing that. They gave him 88 and everything. Like they're yeah. touting him to be the next guy. Yeah. And that's great. And you know, I, I think that's stupid doing it to a rookie. I can't remember the last rookie wide receiver that came in the NFL and got a thousand yards right off the bat. I mean, I'm oh, sure. Junior did. Okay. And <laughs> is he better than CD lamb or CD lamb better than OBJ? I mean, C.D. Lamb was probably more highly touted coming out of college, but I, I can't tell you for sure. I, I don't think – if C.D. Lamb is better than Odell, then we have bigger problems. Yeah, oh, yeah. Odell's going to be way better than I – Yeah. So – and then you talk about Michael Gallup. Basically, one year of production. All right, so, so everyone, throw your bouquets at the Dallas wide receiving core. I've seen Amari Cooper disappear for games, literal games. I, you guys remember him with the Raiders? Where was he when Derek Carr needed him? And everyone wants well, to anoint him a number one wide receiver. Cooper got yeah, as much. anyone when the Raiders need them. Exactly. <laughs> Jerry Rice quit in, in Oakland. <laughs> but the, the bigger picture here is with the Cowboys is that we, the same rule that applies with Dak applies with Mari Cooper. Garbage yards, garbage touchdowns. When defense are sitting back, they're letting them get these huge chunks. I'm not ready to anoint a team that has a lack of a spine. The Cowboys are the most spineless team in the NFL. The Bears came in, or no, they came into Soldier Field. Weather wasn't bad. It was actually beautiful for a November night. And they got punched in the mouth, and their balls went right between their legs like the cowards they are. I do not trust this team. You went from the clapper to the guy that has no clue what's going on on the sideline. He was getting massages when his quarterback needed him to come up with a better, more interesting offense. You went from boring to boringer, which is that's, completely – a good point. This yeah. is completely unfathomable, and you talk about one of the most meddling owners in the NFL, and that is Jerry Jones. I'm taking the coach that has the balls, that knows how to play football, and a team that has proven it on the field time and time again. This team cannot hang with the Eagles. They're not going to hang with the Eagles because they are mental midgets. From the quarterback position to the coaching staff to the front office and to the owner. I love it, Matt. I love uh, dysfunction in Dallas. Um, but that leads me to my next question because, uh, yes, they were the way they were, and that's why Jason Garrett – got the can and I mean got me a kick in the ass and get out of here because that probably should happen five years ago at the end of the day they, they held on to him way too long but what they did is they kind of hired a guy who was very similar to Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy <laughs> a, a questionable decision to say the least and I we already got your thoughts on Mike McCarthy so Vince I want to ask you is Mike McCarthy going to help maybe put all this together better than Jason Garrett did no, it's such a hilariously bad hire. I'm totally with Matt on that. It, I, this is what I love about it. Mike McCarthy was the never Trump of coaches for me. Like this offseason, I was like, you can hire anyone you want on earth. 
do not hire Mike McCarthy the Giants. They were able to grant me that. I got my third choice instead of like my hundredth choice. So in that sense, great. Mike McCarthy is so boring. And to make things worse, I don't know if you guys still remember this, but McCarthy was bragging about how he watched all this game tape in the year that he was unemployed. Then he admitted that he didn't. (laughs) He lied in his interview to get hired, which is even funnier. Um, He is such a classic. This is what makes me so excited is that he's the perfect, perfect coach to not win a playoff game for Dallas yet again. Because in my everything Matt said in criticism of the Cowboys, I agree with, but I only agree with it once the playoffs happen. I think in the regular season, they're going to be a juggernaut. I think those three wide receivers are going to be fantastic. Dak's going to put up all these stupid little numbers. Um, Zeke's got one more year in him to be a, a premier running back at least. The offensive line is still a top half for sure, maybe top 10 offensive line. All of that they've got going for them. The defense, which we haven't really talked about that much, uh, it's a it's more of a bend not break defense for me at least in the secondary like they don't give up a lot of points they don't force a lot of turnovers either they don't get a lot of sacks they don't do anything sexy but they don't give up as many yards and points as I expected they gave um, up over 30 points to the Bears yeah but <laughs> if you look at their season stats on the whole it's really not they're they're a top half defense um, which surprised me because I didn't remember it except against, you know, except like week one or whatever. I don't remember it being that great. Um, yeah, they, they gave so, up a lot to the Packers too. Anytime they played like a good team and they were pretty much exposed. Yeah, fine. Whatever, whatever it is, I, they, their defense wasn't very far behind the Eagles, which surprised me because the Eagles, I always associate with a great defense and the Cowboys, I don't. Can I, I, um, I, I I'm sorry. I got to jump in there real quick, Vince. Keep in mind, I'm just going to say this. They got four games against the Giants and the Washington football team. Two well, this teams. is why it's, it's, it's culminating in the playoffs for me. Once they play a good team, it blows yeah. up in their face. And Mike McCarthy is such a great hire for that to happen to because the Packers-Seahawks game comes to mind the most when he's, like, kicking 19-yard field goals against freaking Russell Wilson, like, thinking that's going to be enough. It's It was – what Bill O'Brien did to lose that game to the Chiefs times 10. And people forget about that game. Mike McCarthy's such a cucked out, terrible coach. He's just awful. And it's going to be yeah. so great in the playoffs when they actually play a good team. It's going to blow up in Dak's face because he can't win multiple playoff games in a season. It's going to blow up in McCarthy's face. It's going to blow up in Amari Cooper's face because he'll probably quit by halftime. So I agree with you when they play a really good team. But the Cowboys in the regular season, kind of a different story to me. They're like the Minnesota Twins. Again, second Twins reference, it fits again. So there you go. Matthew Nyland yeah. is not going to be happy with you. <laughs> no, no, I'll bring it up as much. I, they're just such a worthless franchise. The Twins, just the Cowboys enough, are enough. worth a lot of money. Yeah, they are. And just a note on the defense, I really like their front seven. Secondary is not very good, but Demarcus Lawrence is a really good pass rusher. Uh, they added Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe to be in the middle of that defense. So I, I like the, the front seven. I like their linebackers, Leighton Van Rush, Jalen Smith. I know, Matt, uh, you said that they didn't play well last year, but it doesn't mean I don't think they, they don't have potential. I think that they could still play very well uh, if they're both healthy and given the right circumstances. But Jalen um, Smith yeah. is never going to be 100% Jalen Smith ever again in his life. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate, but at least he made a career for himself after that horrific injury uh, when he was in college. Um, but, yeah, I cannot wait for this to blow up on Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy. I'm, as, a, as an avid, 
avid Cowboys hater. That is something I'm marking on my calendar because you know they are going to play very well in the regular season and they probably will make the playoffs. And it's only a matter of time before they get bounced in the playoffs. So we're going to do these two predictions. Mark it down. Yes. Uh, We're going to do these division – we're going to go game by game here and do the picks again to see what your official team prediction is going to be. I'll start off with the first four games here. They're at the Rams, against the Falcons, at at the Seahawks, and then against the Browns. I'll say three. That's actually tougher than I thought. I'll I'll say three and one. I'm going to say one and three. Wow. And I will say two and two. Is the Hawks your win, Matt? The Seahawks? No, they're losing that game. No, I'm sorry, the Falcons, wrong bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's the right bird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'll go go two and two in that stretch. And then it gets uh, a little bit easier, but not really. But uh, then it's uh, against the Giants, against the Cardinals, at Washington, at Philly, and then against Pittsburgh before the bye week. So it's five. I'll, I'll go two and two there. That's five games. So you two and three, two and three, yeah. or three and two. Uh oh, I'm sorry. You you listed Pittsburgh also. Yes. I'll go three and two. So I'm at I'm at uh, six wins. All right. So no, I, I got to think about this. So what were the five games again? I, I know it's Arizona, Pittsburgh, Giants, Giants, Giants Arizona, Washington, Washington, at Washington, at Philly, Pittsburgh. Yeah, three and two. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Four and one there, actually. Um, so I have six wins already. There two. I got four after the after the bye here. They're at Minnesota against Washington at Baltimore at Cincinnati. I'll go two and two in that stretch. I'm gonna go three and one. I'm gonna go three and one as well. That Minnesota right, so- game's kind of a toss up for me, but I I like. Uh, and they'll lose the Ravens game, but uh, I'll give them a win up versus the Vikings. Is it at Minnesota or at Dallas? Yeah, it's at Minnesota. Yeah, I'm taking. All right, I'm going two and two now. Yeah, all right, so I'm I have do a, that too. <laughs> so we already have them at eight wins here. So no, no, uh, nope, nope. I got them at six. Six wins. Okay, me and Vince yeah. have them at eight. Then me and you are uh, at eight. Yeah. Okay, and then it's to wrap up the season, San Francisco, Philly, at the Giants. I'd say 2-1 and one to wrap that up. So that leaves them a 10-6 and six for me. I got 1-2. and two. This kind of sh- – you know, this entire show going into it, I was like, there's no way the Cowboys aren't winning the division. And <laughs> now I look at the schedule – I, I kind of feel like one and two. It, it could be a classic McCarthy movie. Just the last three games, they collapse. They, I mean, they'll beat the Giants, obviously, but they might lose to the Eagles and, and Niners, especially if they beat the Eagles the first time, which I gave them credit for. So I don't see them sweeping the Eagles. So I have to go one and two. That, that's nine wins. Yeah, I mean, I, seven and nine. What'd you get? Seven and nine. All right. I'm more optimistic on the Cowboys than the two of you are, obviously. So. The NFC is going to have two playoff teams. Who knows? Uh, there's a chance neither of these teams are as good as I think. Uh, that's probably the more likely scenario where <laughs> the NFC East is just garbage again. So, did you, have, Randy, did you have the, them both at 10 wins, Eagles and Cowboys? I, Philly was at 11. So all right, so we all, we all have the Eagles winning the division then based on the schedule exercise. Sure do. Wow. Yeah. Fly, so. Eagles, fly. I can't pull. I'm honestly in shock. That was the most <laughs> educational moment of my entire week. <laughs> I I had this whole thing coming into my mind when I came into the show. Where I was like, Dallas won in the division, third best team in the division. Yeah, like I had that in I, my mind, 
I mean, you do the exercise with the schedule, and then it, it changes. So, but the honestly, two, the, the two most important things they are near the middle to the bottom of the division, and, and that's coaching and quarterback play. They're not in the top of either of those two, and those make a huge difference. If they had a better quarterback to overcome Mike McCarthy, I'd give them more credit. <laughs> you know, or if they had a better coach to overcome Dak Prescott, yeah, I, I think it's possible. But they they don't have either of those. Yeah, good point. I, I guess I didn't take the, the Mike McCarthy factor into this, uh, so I, that is a huge factor for sure. Um, but that's the NFC East, guys. Uh, we're more than halfway into this division series now. Vince, uh, what was your experience like here on the Audible? Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, always a pleasure. I think this is my, my second appearance, so I'm starting to become a veteran here. You know, by third year, I should be at my best um, my, by my third show. No, thank you guys for having me on. It is a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we got to uh, talk about the Redskins so much. That was a real thrill for me. So, thank, <laughs> yes. thank you for having me on. We spent Appreciate we spent it. a lot of time on the Washington football team for sure. Um, but for, for those who don't know, Vince is the host of Dog City over in Baseball Life. That's Mondays at seven Eastern, right, Vince? Monday seven Eastern, and next week we have a special opening day show because there will definitely be baseball next Thursday. There will be actual Major League <laughs> Baseball, regardless of what everyone thinks. So that'll be at six p.m. But yes, otherwise every Monday seven p.m. Eastern time, Dog City. I cannot wait for baseball. I know that it's been a long time coming for sports in general, so we all need something to kind of escape from this world we're living in right now. I'm very excited for baseball. I'm very excited to watch Dong City on Monday. Vince, again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been way too much fun. This has been going on for way too long. We're over the two-hour mark. Uh, Matt, anything you want to say? Any parting shots for the audience? I got a lot of parting shots. Those who love Dallas, you're in for a rude awakening. They suck. And by the way, this is how much I miss baseball. I started a game thread in our Baseball Life page. My Sox yeah. Center Squad game. I think you got one comment that wasn't your own, so good for you. <laughs> uh, I Honestly, I don't blame you. We all kind of need that interaction at this point. Um, but I believe, Matt, we made the decision we're just going to go AFC South next week, right, and then wrap these division series up with both West uh, divisions. Yep, we're going to go AFC South, and then we're going to finish this whole exercise off with the Super Bowl divisions. Also, be on the lookout for a new time next week. We are moving from Fridays. Um, this is our last Friday show. Am I correct on that, Randy? Yes. Um, beyond things, beyond my control, we're going to have to move from Fridays. So um, the date and time, we will be sure to keep you updated on in football life. Uh, but once again, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us, whether you're watching us live on Facebook, whether you're watching us on YouTube, whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Anchor or wherever the platform is, you're getting this content. We thank you so much for your support always. That means the world to us. So uh, it was great. A lot of fun, guys. Happy Friday. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Have a good one.